Welcome to Vicious Talk with Benny P. Another, I know I say this all the time, exciting episode underway here on Vicious Talk. My good friend and co-host, Connor Larson, is back for some NFL action. We're going to continue our preview analysis for the upcoming season. Connor, welcome back, buddy. Hey, thanks, Ben. It's great to be here. What's popping, brother? What is popping? My guy, are you excited for the upcoming NFL season? Because the preseason has been going underway, you know, Fantasy, fantasy analysis is picking up. All of our, you know, outlets that we consume media is, uh, you know, full full throttle in terms of podcasts, you know, TV shows, sports talk shows. It's all NFL football right now, and it's getting me pretty pumped for the season. Oh, it's fantastic, and it's it's wonderful the amount of content we have right now. So many different opinions, and so you know, you kind of get to see those initial theories play out in terms of the preseason games and. You're looking for, you know, the value picks going into the draft. And if this is if you put the work in now, this is where you can set your whole fantasy season up for success. And so we're going to do that extra little bit of research for everyone to try to consolidate all that information into one source. Yeah, I think it exactly. I think that's a great point because when you we listen to so many different outlets, um, at least I do, I've been consuming a lot of content in terms of podcasts and articles and reading of just different things ac- across sports media coverage. And I think we're doing a pretty good job at acknowledging the different opinions or at least kind of creating some sort of composite opinion across, you know, a, a number of different ideas that are coming from, you know, all kinds of different areas of, of thought across sports media. Um, cause you don't really see that a lot. You know, ESPN doesn't want to acknowledge Yahoo and, and, you know, the fantasy footballers don't want to acknowledge, uh, who's uh, the ringer fantasy football podcast. Like they don't want right. to acknowledge each other and they all have their own opinions and they try to stay in their own vacuum and create their opinions in their own analysis. But I think there's something to be said about, I mean, we're not, we're not trying to claim to be some sort of expert with insider information. We're using all kinds of different ways to consume and uh, digest information across the sport. And we're, we're going to be shooting out uh, the analysis that we're consuming and digesting and then putting our spin on it with the, the, all, the ATA spin, you could call it, you know? Absolutely. I think it's important to take information from all sources and really just get the most wide breadth of all these analysts out there and you know the data and information and resources they have but then also to pair it with what we actually see on the field use our own intellect of what we saw last year remember those tips and trends and also of course using the statistical analysis that we have access to definitely all right before we kick it off, we're going to talk about the NFC East this episode. We did want to talk about briefly, I mean, Connor and I have been getting um, very involved with the sports card and memorabilia hobby lately. And well, not just lately, but just, you know, we've been more and more into it during the pandemic. We were part of, we, we both, you know, participated growing up in the hobby. Um, but, you know, during the pandemic, there was a big boom and, and the two of us were kind of part of that regat like the I don't know how you explain it, but we we we, we boomed absolutely. Yeah, we were we were boomers. It's hard. It, I mean, it's kind of <laughs> shameful to admit, but the point is like we came back to it. Like we we weren't mm-hmm. like people that were just finding it. We were both involved when we were growing up, and we collected. And I mean, you know, it's kind of fun to look back at what we had stored away for all those years. 
and we, we're back in the hobby and there was some news that came out in the sports card hobby this week um wanted to get Con- connor's a little bit more informed with some of these things than i am so i wanted to shoot some of this his way you know we had a couple of big stories break over the last week and i wanted to get his take on uh, a couple of these these uh, instances and so the first one that happened earlier this week was the pwcc ebay's they're the number they're the number one sports card resellers or consigners on ebay right yeah, were. that's correct. They're the, they're the biggest seller right now on yeah. eBay. They were on uh, Probstein's number two, yeah. I think. Okay. And, and, and they were, you know, eBay put out a public announcement kind of blindsiding PWCC that saying that they were um, found being um, some sort of so, someone associated with PWCC um, was doing was partaking in shill bidding. And, and Connor, what's mm-hmm. shill bidding? Shill bidding is when you either have somebody bid on an item on eBay. So it could be a card. It could be, you know, it could be a pair of sneakers, whatever type of collectible. And it's purposely just to drive up the price of that item. So if I bid on an item, I can put a max bid of $100. But say the card is only, someone else only bid up to 75. Well, I'm going to win that item for 76. Or I can text my buddy and say, hey, I think this guy is willing to go up pretty high on this card. Do you mind bidding it up a few more times to hopefully capture his a higher max bid from that person? Um, and so what we had was instances and there are already leaked text messages from people working at PWCC saying, Hey, can you, you know, put a bid in on this item? And, uh, these are people who had no intention of actually buying the card. Yeah. For for most of the way I consumed the story was through sports cards, nonsense, the ringers podcast. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and the way Mike Gio explained that instance with the text messages was that was a couple of years ago. Right. So that was kind of a, a, a different circumstance than the, the one that they're possibly being accused of in this in this instance yeah it's just but, a red flag if somebody's already done it, it once and there's yeah. proof of it then you it know creates, so much more precedent. likely yeah once a cheater always a cheater <laughs> oh my gosh the the um thing that kind of had me concerned about this shield bidding stuff is like so with P- pwcc being such a large um they take up they take up such a large space in this hobby especially on ebay if we no longer see shill bidding going forward like or we see less of it are we going to start to see comps going down like that could be a little bit worrisome in terms of maybe hurting the 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 comps in the hobby driving prices which is going to drive prices down i mean that's a little bit of a concern no yeah i mean i think there's still going to be widespread shill bidding in terms of comps i think the market is so large, but also to have the top consigner actually be banned from bidding is going to decrease the amount of volume of cards being sold on eBay, certainly. I don't know how much of the market they were, but once you slow down the population of cards for sale, there's gonna be more interest in certain cards, at least as well, so there's gonna be less access. So that might drive up prices a little bit and offset what we yeah. saw from the show bidding driving up prices. Yeah. But I, overall, I don't think there's going to be a huge swing. Um, but yeah, eBay is a great place to see what the general market thinks of a player in a card because it's, you know, it's a consensus. It's what are people willing to pay? So you take the last 10 sold. I think that still the fact that people are using the most recent sales, um, it's going to include cards that were bid up heavily and, I think the interest is still there. We're not too worried about decreasing prices. 
No, that makes sense. You're right. I mean, there, there, there's still like, going to be a, a lot of heavy traffic in in the space on eBay as well as I mean, PWCC is going to open up their vault um, website where they're going to have a competitor to eBay um, next starting I think in September. So you have to wonder how much of this was timing, exactly. knowing that they're creating a competitor, and then eBay's like, well, let's put out some bad news so that people are less likely to want to go over there if they know they're going to over overpay from the seller. Yeah, you have to consider it's a strategic that. Strategic sure. move. Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of concerning, but it's also just like you know everybody has to act in their own individual um, values in this space in this hobby. And so the point is like you have to know how much you're willing to buy, um, how much you're willing to spend on something that you want to buy, um, and you just have to be smart about it. Like you got to do your research and you got to check how how rare a card is. What's the pop count? How many how many competing cards are there out there? The, the thing you, the, uh, uh, that you're buying, and how do you project the player to to perform going forward? How do you project his the 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 player or the team of the car, of the merchandise that you're buying, the card that you're buying? How do you project them personally? How do you think they're going to do going forward? How do you think the card's going to move in value? So those are all things you got to consider and you got to form your own kind of personal opinion. And I think that's what's going to um, create the most genuine marketplace in this hobby if people, you know, continue to do that. Yeah, I mean, personally, you and I, we've been we had the owner of Trinity Sports Cards uh, on for an episode a couple a couple weeks ago, and he gave us some advice on some players he liked. And so we bought those cards. We both set a max price on what we were bidding. We made sure we got a good deal on some some DAC PSAs and some Derrick Henry BGSs. And you can look at the pop count of those. So you do your research beforehand. You look at the last five sold. You set your max price, and you forget about it. Don't get caught up into the hype on that. You know, there's going to be more cards of that one listed within a week, within two weeks. So you don't necessarily yeah. need to get that single card. Um, but then, yeah, you, you have to project absolutely the player performance because that's that's mostly what's going to drive up market consensus and market price on a player. It's not just yeah. what, what was the last time someone paid for it. Well, if Derrick Henry goes up and breaks the rushing record this year, his car is going to two or three X in value because yeah. he'll his name is going to forever be in the uh, the Hall of Fame, you know, as the league's leading rusher. Yeah, well said. Connor, any other thoughts on the uh, the other big news story that came out in the card in the card world uh, this last week? I know um, Tops has kind of had the leading brand in in the card space for quite some time, and this week we learned about Fanatics buying the licensing for baseball, basketball, and football. Right, and so yeah. now Tops is going to lose the licensing for those sports. It looks like possibly fanatics is going to end up actually buying tops is that kind of the story is that how we're interpreting it or what 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 did you take away from this well this is certainly a strategic move if they plan on acquiring them i don't think anything's been announced there but what we do know is that once tops lost this deal and apparently they were completely blindsided they found out about it like yesterday at two o'clock or whatever and um Tops is no longer going to go public now. They were about to go public on the stock market. Obviously, they foresaw that they had many more years with the licensing for these products. And and you and I have seen that people don't necessarily want to buy cards if it doesn't have the team logo on it. If they're not wearing the team jersey, the unlicensed products mm-hmm. don't have as much resale value. Well, Tops was looked at as the pure play for baseball cards. You know that they have the Bowman first. They have the Tops rookie cards, Tops series updates, you know, all of that. Tops Chrome. Um, and now they, they can't, what are they going to sell? If it's going to become unlicensed, they're going to become a less popular product. They'd already lost licensing for the other sports. 
So they were about to come public via a SPAC merger, which is a special purpose acquisition company. That company no longer wants to take ownership shares of Tops to help them go public. So Tops is going to remain a private company now. So this completely derails their future. I'm not sure what they're going to do, but their valuation has certainly taken a hit. And so if he did plan on buying Tops too, to take care of their uh, you know distribution, their card making processes, you know, if... Fanatics certainly made a hell of a move if that's their plan. Wasn't the story that Fanatics proposed to buy Tops uh, uh, like not that long ago, where they were going to give them I don't know X, X amount of dollars, and then now I saw like a joke that you know kind of the next step is inevitably going to be Fanatics trying. I mean, now has to buy Tops, and Tops is going to get like twenty five cents on that original offer. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, that certainly makes sense. It's a little bit of the the Dennis Schroeder deal, right? Yeah. Yeah, he didn't lock I mean, it up early on. Bob, Bobby Axelrod out of billions would have just loved that type of business acumen. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. I mean, it's a it's a hell of a financial play, and you know we're gonna see if it uh, works out for Fanatics. But they yeah. seem to be monopolizing the entire sports space in terms yeah. of they already had the gear, they were already selling autographs, memorabilia. Now, if they actually produce and sell licensed cards too, yeah. it's gonna be a hell of a monopoly. And yeah. I, I mean, prices for the consumer are probably going to take a hit too. They're probably going to go up in terms of buying sealed product. Yeah, you're probably right there. Looking forward to seeing what the product looks like from from Fanatics, just because, like you said, they're a merchandising company. And so it'd be kind of neat to see if they get creative with the graphic designs and and those types of things too. So looking forward to just how the card market progresses with this big news. Um, Personally, I kind of think that we have to believe that Especially when I think Tops is about four years left. Especially when you see Tops kind of winding things down, because um, or at least you know the the last licensed products of Tops. Yeah, through twenty twenty five. Yeah. So when they start winding down, like I wonder if the pricing is going to go up for those, or if it's going to be like, you know, you you buy it and you know you have one of the last products of Tops. Like that's kind of an interesting concept to think about. Yeah, I think buying and holding some sealed. Um, either hobby boxes or, or retail boxes of the more highly sought after products could certainly pay dividends five, 10 years from now. Um, I think also the first few releases from Fanatics too are going to hold a lot of value. Mm, Generally, true. cards of the first line that's produced have a, a lot of value. So you're talking 10 years ago or so when the first Prism was released or the first Mosaic line was released, those cards have a lot of value that release year. For sure. All right, Connor. Enjoyed the card talk. Now let's get into what we came here for. We're talking about the NFC East today. We're going to kick it off with the Dallas Cowboys. The Cowboys are a very interesting team. They're America's team, you know, dating back. They have a rich history of success in Dallas. And last year was not one of those seasons. They went 6-10 and 10 in 2020. They, this year, they're coming to the 2021-22 season with a 9.5 over-under win total. They are plus 130 to win this division. They are the favorites heading into the year. They have a lot of question marks heading to the season. Primarily, you got to kick it off with the return of their prized, now multi-million dollar, four-year, $160 million quarterback, Dak Prescott. Are you optimistic about the return of Dak and this Dallas Cowboys offense that really struggled last year without him? Oh, I'm I'm wildly interested in the return of Dak. I think he's going to be fantastic. Um, 
you know, people are kind of worried that he's being put on a pitch count. He's got a little bit of shoulder soreness. Um, I'm not concerned by that. You know, as a baseball player, Benny, you know what a pitch count is. When these guys who are responsible for throwing the ball repeatedly 50, 70, 100 times in baseball, you can't just run up to a full workload and use muscles you haven't used for months. Um, you know, if you come into the off season and you do your first workout, the, the next day you're going to be the most sore you're going to be all year. So Dax ramping been up there. to it. They're holding him out of some games. Practice is very controlled. And been there. Yeah, I mean, every workout for us nowadays is like the first <laughs> workout in months. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, listening to other podcasts too and, and medical analysis, it seems like this is a normal trajectory that you know you you would expect to see some shoulder soreness um and they're controlling his reps but that's fine that's actually what i would prefer to see rather than them running him out there if he him playing a half in a preseason game that means nothing and i know by all reports his leg is in pretty good shape we haven't had any setbacks there and that's where i would be most concerned because that leg injury last year was gruesome so it'll be interesting to see if he really trusts his legs running the ball but from what i hear he he seems to be fine from an injury perspective there yeah with the shoulder concern i'm I'm with you there i'm for me it's not as much of a concern just because i mean you looked at the way those the that news story broke um he did have the shoulder soreness and and he went to get the mri but before he got the mri he was like still out on the field you know talking to players and and was involved with practice and stuff like that the story was like that he he just kind of went and got the mri on his own terms like his own time and he usually if it's a more pressing concern if it's something that's you know obviously that's bothering him immediately they want to get an answer right away he wouldn't even stick stuck around camp he would probably went straight away to get the mri so from my understanding it seems like there it's not much of a concern at all like you said it's all kind of to be expected it's probably going to be a little bit of a a shaking off the rust type of period you know early on maybe fantasy owners who draft Dak Dak Prescott expecting that elite level of production that he had last year before he getting hurt like maybe expect a little bit of a of a learning curve with him getting back into it he's not going to play in the preseason they announced that earlier this week um he's just he, he he's probably going to need some time getting more accustomed to the offense um he's probably not going to be quite as athletic as he was you know, with that whip before that leg injury, because that, like you said, terribly gruesome injury that was um, very but, Gordon Hayward esque injury. Yeah, um, and I, I hope personally that 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 does not um, affect him the same way that Gordon's injury did. But right, um, but Dak Dak had an excellent season last year before going down. I mean, you look at the Cowboys' offense before Dak with him before the Dak injury with him under center they were the fifth ranked offense in the league they scored a touchdown on 32.8 percent of their offensive drives they averaged 32.6 points per game and then without Dak they were the 31st ranked offense in the league they scored a touchdown on 16.9 percent of their drives and they averaged 21.1 points per game that's a major drop off without Dak behind center and that's ultimately what must have led the Cowboys to paying him so much money during the offseason despite the injury um the Cowboys passing attack last year averaged below 4.5 net yards per attempt in three straight games following Dak's departure. And so there was a definitely, you know, a, an adjustment period following the immediate the immediacy of his injury. And, and you look at that stretch, that is a terrible stretch. Only 
Only two other teams in the last two years have had such an awful stretch where they averaged only 4.5 net yards per attempt in three straight games. And you look at the two teams that two other teams that did that: the 2019 Washington Football Team with Dwayne Haskins, I think that was, and, and 2020 the New York Jets. Um, neither of those two teams are, are model model organizations that you wanted to, uh, you know, form your your team and your offense after and um you know it, it, it was definitely um obviously the loss of Dak was a big a big problem for them but it's also kind of a signal that of a possibly larger problem within this offensive play calling system where their coaching staff couldn't make any sort of adjustment to compensate for that loss i'm i'm pretty you know optimistic about Dak this season i think he could regain at least you know maybe 90% of his former his former self at some point this year but in terms of the way that the offense performed last year i was not encouraged by the way the the coaching staff kind of led them the rest of the way after that big um miss like misnomer on their on their offense you know it was a pretty tough loss but you right. got to you got to bounce back yeah, it's not like they had a, a complete scrub coming in. You know, they still had Andy Dalton there, who, mm-hmm. you know, by all means has been a, a league average or, or slightly better quarterback. Well, not for last years year. with the Bengals. Not yeah, but he came into this team and they could not figure it out. Um, but certainly, Dak and Andy Dalton are, are a different type of player mm-hmm. um, when you talk about their skill set. And this team is still returning what might be the best wide receiver core in the league. And, you know, with Dak at the helm, I think over the last two years, if you include um, the games he played last year on a points per game basis, he was the number two quarterback only behind Lamar Jackson, I believe, from a fantasy uh, points per per game perspective. Um, So, I mean, throw him right back in the ring. You have CD in year two. Uh, Zeke is much more effective with Dak on the field as well. I think this machine of, you know, the Dallas Cowboys – should be right back on track. Oh. Uh, at least by week I, three or four, I think they're going to be looking good. Look, I agree with you where the machine has the right pieces. This is possibly one of the mo- the most, or if not the most elite talent, talent composition of talent on the offensive side of the football in the league. Like Dak is a, is a top five QB when healthy. This wide receiver trio is probably second to just Tampa Bay's in the league. Mm-hmm. And they have an elite running back in Ezekiel Elliott. And we could get to him. I mean, some of his effectiveness came into question last year, but he's still a very good running back in his own right. For me, the pieces are there for an elite offense, but the major question mark for me is the coaching staff, like I keep getting back to here. You look at just their offensive predictability last season. I mean, when you when you, when you you lose such an elite part of your offense, a, a key part of your offense like Dak, you got to get creative with your play con. You got to start trying things. You got to, you got to, tr- you got to get different. You got to just throw, throw a wrench into your system, get some new schemes going. Last year, that was the opposite of what they did. You look at just the predictability of their formations and their personnel on the field with the, in three wide receiver sets, Dallas passed on seven. 75% of their plays. So when they had when they had three wide receivers out on the field, the defense was just assuming that they were going to pass and they were, they were correct on three three of the four plays uh, that they ran on those in those formations last year. With less than three wide receivers on the field, they ran the ball on 90% of those plays. So they run, if they if they're running uh, 11 or if they're running 12 personnel or 21 personnel, you could just assume that they're going to be running Running the ball, you they bring two tight end two two tight end sets in. They're running the, they're running the football ninety percent of the time. That is an astonishing rate. As terrible when your offense is that predictable. Plays under center for Dallas last year when the quarterback was under center instead of shotgun. 
76% of the time they uh, were running the ball. And, and from shotgun, they were passing the ball 75% of the time. So it's just, it, the predictability was just astounding. Like you just based on the way that they were lining up before the play pre-snap, you knew what play was coming. And you yeah. look at when Dak was on the field, 80% of his snaps were in shotgun and 85% of Dalton's were in, were in shotgun. So they actually increased the amount of shotgun usage with Andy Dalton, but then they were throwing the ball 75% of the time and Dalton was not effective. So it was not a formula for success. It's just the predictability of play calling was horrendous last year. And it's it's got to be fixed this year. They got to get more creative because like you said, the pieces in this offense are elite. The talent is there. They got to figure out a way to put them all together now. Yeah, it really seemed like, you know, Kellen Moore and Mike McCarthy really had a game plan for the year built around Dak and and, and his skills and and what they could produce uh, in that system. And they just were completely blindsided by having to use Andy Dalton as quarterback. And even uh, maybe they trotted out uh, Ben DiNucci out there for a game or two. And they, you're absolutely right. They were not creative. This is the reason that Aaron Rodgers for so many years was so frustrated with Mike McCarthy, Mike McCarthy's offensive schemes when he was in Green Bay and they eventually departed. Yeah. Not to say that Aaron Rodgers doesn't get upset and salty at, uh, too often, but you're, you're absolutely right. But what we did see in the five-game sample size when Dak was in there was, was lights out. And if we're assuming we're getting a full season from him, um, then, yeah, I think we have to feel pretty comfortable with their offense still. But I would be very hesitant if Dak does miss any time, then I have zero confidence that this is the type of team that can pull through and weather that type of storm based on, you know, the coaching ability that we've seen. And, you know, their defense is certainly going to be a bit more improved from last year, but they're not necessarily one of the defenses that despite what the offense is doing, it's going to keep you in games necessarily. You know, it's not uh, definitely not quite the scariest unit in the league. So, yeah, yeah, you're touching on the defense here. I mean, they brought in new defensive coordinator Dan Quinn, where you replaced Mike Nolan, and Dan Quinn was fired after leading the Falcons last season to an 0-5 start. So he he doesn't come in with a most recent track record that was not quality like will Quinn be able to do more with less in Dallas because Falcons did have more talent on the defensive side of the football than Dallas does this year it's doubtful I mean last I mean you look at the Falcons defensive rankings under Dan Quinn dating back over the last five seasons in 2019 last five full seasons with Dan Quinn 2019 they were 23rd in points allowed uh, 23rd in points allowed 20th in yards allowed 17th in DVOA 2018 30th in DVOA 2017 17th in DVOA that was their Super Bowl season that they made or sorry they lost at a divisional round last that year in 2017 in 2016 that was our Super Bowl season they were 19th in DVOA 2015 18th in DVOA so they're below average at, at best in all the seasons under Dan Quinn I mean really it's gonna there's gonna be a lot of question marks heading into the season for Dallas they're gonna need young players like top draft pick Micah Parsons who I actually really like out of Penn State they're gonna need a a big step up from a rookie like that if they're going to get an effective defense so really i'm projecting the cowboys to have hopefully a good offense because like i said the talent's there you know despite even with a bad play caller that's a formula for success when you have dak prescott cd lamb ezekiel elliott mark cooper michael gallup like it's just a plethora of elite explosive um offensive options so my, my guess is that dallas ends up giving up a lot giving up a lot of points and scoring a lot of points in their own right so I, I, I don't see Dallas's defense to be 
a, a scary one this year. I project them to probably finish in you know in the in the low twenties range in, in terms of rankings on the year, which you know could they could still be an above average team um, with that mark, but that's going to put more pressure, added pressure on this offense and and Dak's you know return to 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 this team after such a gruesome injury. So it's a lot of pressure heading into the year for them. Yeah, last year. They were the fifth. Um, they gave out the fifth most points in the league, the twenty nine point five six points per game. I, I have them ranked as my twenty fifth best defense right now. If you look at our fantasy rankings, um, and you know, I think that's highly correlated to what their actual defense is going to do most often. Not necessarily the same thing can go for players, um, but for defenses, I think it's a pretty accurate way to judge. And yeah. it's hard. It's, it's, it's hard to think that they're going to be anything better than mediocre. They gave up. 34 passing touchdowns and they gave up nearly 400 yards a game. Um, but the one thing that saved them was they, they were able to get 23 turnovers last year. So a little bit lucky there as well, so, but they do, they do return uh, Leighton Vander Ash. I think he missed majority yeah. of the season last year and he, he's a bright young talent. So hopefully he can shore things up in the middle of the field for them. Um, yeah. They're gonna I, I don't, yeah, I mean, if you have that many turnovers and you're still giving up that many points per game, it just so it partially it shows you how ineffective their offense was in keeping the defense off the field. I think they're going to benefit from that, but still, I think this is going to be um, quite a high scoring attack. So other teams are still going to be trying to score against them as well. Yeah. All right, Connor. Let's let's transition to some fantasy football outlook here for the Dallas Cowboys. Let's kick it off with the running back. I already touched on Ezekiel, Ezekiel Elliott. He had a down year last season in 2020. It was his career worst season. But you still look at his touches per game. He averaged 19.7. That was eighth among among running backs last season. He finished as the RB11 in standard fantasy formats. With Dak, I mean, really, along with this offense, Ezekiel Elliott declined when Dak Prescott got injured. I mean, with Dak Prescott, he was averaging 22.3 PPR fantasy points per game. But without Dak, he averaged just 11.2. That's a major drop off. That's the difference between a top five, top three, maybe what running back versus a, a barely a, a running back two option, honestly. So Zika Elliott is really going to be looking forward to the, the, the return of his glorified quarterback in Dallas um, on top of the drop off and losing Dak the offensive line was banged up all season long last year he uh, Elliot was just one of three running backs Kamara and Eckler with at least 50 receptions though over the last two seasons so there's a lot of you know con- uh, op- reason for optimism for Ezekiel Elliott to improve upon last year because um, ideally you like to think Dak- Dak's going to be healthy the old line's going to be healthier and Elliot should honestly, I, I think I, I would project him to regain that top, you know, six to seven or eight running back status. That's probably where I'd put his floor at this point. How are you thinking about Elliot this year? Yeah, I mean, this it, we fully project this to be a prolific offense, and that just means there's going to be a t- ton of goal line opportunities. Um, the backup Tony Pollard's never really been a goal line vulture; he's more of a pass catcher. So I think Zeke's still going to have that touchdown upside. Um, which really held him back last year. He only had six rushing touchdowns. I see him pushing for double digits. You know, he should be up there with the the Aaron Jones and the Dalvin Cooks and the Derrick Henrys, who far uh, outperformed him last year. And, you know, he only had 979 yards on the ground because he was facing stacked boxes. You know, the quarterback play wasn't good. The passing game wasn't there. And they heavily relied on him. And it, it well, hurt his you know, effectiveness because they was very predictable. Everybody knew it yeah. was going to be a run. 
when you line up in 12 personnel and the defense knows you're running the ball 90 percent of the time they're of course going to stop you and make you yeah. be an efficient running back um the only concerns for me with Zeke is just the wear and tear is a le- is a legitimate concern. He's go he's going to this season. He's going to be twenty six to start the year, but his he's got one thousand four hundred thirteen carries over his last five years in the league. That's the most over that time. You got to be a little bit concerned about that. I mean, you talk we talk about Derrick Henry and he, the concerns with his wear and tear, but I mean, Ezekiel Elliott is a, a, is even more so. I mean, that's a that's a pretty that's a pretty big workload over the last five years for him um and also you know the, the another concern with elliot is the fumbling he's fumbled the ball 15 times over the last three seasons so he's got to improve upon that and uh hopefully he does for dallas cowboys concern yeah i i'm i understand the concerns about the workload but he just seems like the type of player that can handle it too if you look at I his agree. build he's a very stocky running back you know he's got huge calves in in thighs not quite like saquon or aj Dillon, but he's up there the man loves to eat you know let zeke eat i think i think he can i think he'll make it through the season he has a good track record of playing full seasons except for when he's suspended um but this year should be no troubles to start the year off and so i i like zeke as, as a top seven play i think i have him seven right now you have him five so he comes at six in our rankings that feels about right agreed all right let's talk about uh some other options here in this offense for the dallas cowboys i'm gonna kick it off with cd lamb someone who i am incredibly optimistic about the potential for a breakout star receiver in cd lamb is it's it's high this year i'm very optimistic about his chances for a big sophomore sophomore campaign um what, what are your thoughts on cd this year i'm having a tough time choosing who the number one wide receiver is in this offense i am not i am not for you it's easy cd ed easy say that a hundred times fast edcd that's interesting so you know, obviously Amari Cooper is the more proven player. He signed to that huge money contract, wide receiver one, and he's performed year after year, but he never really has been in that upper echelon, the top five, top seven. He's kind of been more in that 11 to 20 range in terms of overall wide receiver production and fantasy. Why do you think CD all of a sudden takes a leap over him this year? Because last year was CeeDee Lamb's rookie season, and I explained to you about all the inefficiencies and and struggles that the offensive play calling had, the personnel had, the offensive line had. It led to a lot of inefficiencies in their offense last season. This year, you're hoping for a more healthy offensive line, a more healthy quarterback who's going to be, we could talk about Dak in fantasy perspective. A lot of people project him as a top five fantasy QB. If he ends up in that finish, that means he's got to have a top five receiver, in my opinion, Mm -hmm. a top 10 at the very least. And so for me, I think CD's that guy. There's nothing he doesn't do. He he is he is an excellent route runner. He is incredibly fast. I, I last time I did, wasn't he a four four forty something in that ballpark. He 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 creates elite separation. He has hands to go up and get it. He has long arms to get re, to to uh, get jump balls. He is an elite blocking running back. There's nothing he doesn't do. And for me, I mean, I think Amari Cooper is bound to miss at least three or four games at least every season. Or play like half a game, yeah, you know, with dragging a leg behind him. You pencil that in every year with Amari Cooper. And so while the upside for a Cooper when he's healthy is there, I just think the upside for CD is just way higher. 
I could totally see that if if Justin Jefferson didn't sh- kind of overshadow him last year with his elite rookie season, and if Dak Prescott didn't get hurt, we could be ranking CD as a top five wide receiver possibly this year. Yeah, I, I like CD for the upside as well. So, you know, I think Amari Cooper's a very safe play where he's going in drafts. You're going to get you know the bang for your buck there if he's able to play a majority of the season. I think the volume will still be there in this heavy type of passing attack. But you're absolutely right. The wear and tear on Amari Cooper at this point in his career, it seems like every year he's a bit dinged up. He plays a lot of games, but he also plays injured a lot, and it does seem to impact uh, his performance on the field. He was a top five wide receiver, I think, two years ago for the first eight eight or so games. And then for the last eight games of the season, um, you know, he had the injury in Michael Gallup kind of performed outperformed him that season in the second half of the year, even though they were both on the field. And so, you know, the same story last year, he missed a couple games playing injured. CeeDee Lamb has the fresher legs. He should at this point probably be the more explosive player. And uh, the difference in stats last year, when you consider one guy was a rookie, 900, I want to say, nine, what is it? 935 receiving yards for CeeDee last year. Mari Cooper had 1,114. So it wasn't a wide gap between these two players. And if you think this is CeeDee Lamb's breakout year, he could certainly put up 100 catches and 1,200, 1,300 yards. Totally. There was a history of sophomore receivers breaking out in a big way. Having CeeDee Lamb laid the foundation of, of that he's an elite receiver in his rookie season. We t- I talked about all the struggles he had to overcome. He still had an excellent rookie year. The The signs are on the wall for him. I mean, there's a history of a sophomore breakout. The guy has a, an exponential amount of talent. He He's going to be an option in an offense that we think is going to be one of the league's best. I just the opportunity is going to be there for a guy like this. I I know you know this trio of receivers is going to throw a little bit of curveball in terms of you know which which mouths are going to be fed the most. But for me, it's 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 not even that big of a concern because I think the, there's going to be enough for everybody to eat. Because I don't think that Zico Elliott is going to be as involved as he previously had been in his early seasons in the in the receiving game. I think you know he's still a, a decent receiving running back, but he's not going to be in, as heavily involved as my guess. And I think you know Mark Cooper is going to be there, but there's going to be enough options for for Lamb to step up in a big way this year. And I think Michael Gallup as well is another guy that could be a decent value because he's a guy that kind of is very efficient. It just takes one big play for a guy like Gallup to get off a break off a big touchdown. So I just think there's a lot of you know food to be had in this offense. They're all going to eat, is my opinion. And I think that none, none more so than C.D. Lamb. I'm very optimistic about him coming to the year. What about Dak? He's getting currently drafted as the QB five on the in fantasy drafts. Are you are you comfortable with that that average draft position there for him? Yeah, you, you know you have him at QB five. I am at QB six. So we're pretty much right in line with the ADP. You know he's one spot behind Lamar Jackson, just ahead of Aaron Rodgers and Russell Wilson for us. I think I, I love what they've done with that receiving core, the fact that CD is coming into year two, I think that he's going to have, you know, tons of opportunities to score, especially with a poor defense. So the only, the only thing I'm worried about is the injury or else he would be even higher up in the rankings. He's been one of the most consistent fantasy players from the quarterback perspective when he's actually on the field. So if things progress, all the, all the news out of camp is still that, you know, he's on track to start week one. I have no problem rolling him out there. 
Um, just tempering my expectations for the first couple of weeks, likely. Well said. All right, over under picks. The the win total here is nine and a half. What's your thoughts here? Taking the over or the under? Nine and a half. I'm a Giants fan, man. I want to take the under on every single one of these teams in this division. <laughs> what does your gut tell you? My gut tells me that, well, my analysis that every year is that, oh, I like the Cowboys. They're flashy. They're America's team. They're always in the news. They get a ton of headlines. You're kind of blasted with the Cowboys every preseason. And I feel like, oh, they're going to be oh, fighting for the Super Bowl. Stephen A. Smith is wearing a cowboy hat, and he's talking his, his stuff on TV. And then they always disappoint. Last year, they were supposed to be fantastic, win the division easily. People are still predicting, even when Dak went down, oh, oh they'll, they'll be good enough. They have enough talent. They went 6-10. and 10. You know, oh, it's tough. I would say over, but I don't like saying it because I, I do think they typically underperform expectations. Yeah. In terms of a ceiling, if this in this division, the Cowboys have the highest ceiling, I would say. Uh, and that's reflected in this win total. I mean, nine and a half is the highest we're going to see in this division. The further we go, uh, the further deeper we get into this this podcast. But for me, I think I'm pretty comfortable picking the under on nine and a half. I just, there's a plethora of things that are just too big of concerns. There's just too many question marks, too many things that are unknown. And for things to go right for this over to hit, there's going to be a number of things that are going to have to just check out in a positive way for them. There's a lot of things are going to have to go right for Dallas for them to get to 10 wins. And really for me, I just I just haven't liked, I keep hinting, I haven't liked what I've seen out of Mike McCarthy and his early coaching experience in Dallas thus far. I think that Dak's preseason health questions they're not overly concerning like we're saying but they're also certainly not encouraging if you would i mean ideally you would like to see him a little bit further along in the recovery process from his injury at this point but you can't expect that but you're not going to be encouraged by it um and you look at the schedule for dallas they're scheduled to face six quarterbacks that ranked in the top 10 in the epa per play last year that's tied for most in the nfl and their defense is easily their biggest weakness i mean they're going to be giving a, a lot of snaps to a myriad of young and unproven players they ranked last year 25th in epa per play allowed despite i mean playing against one of the easiest schedules of opposing offenses in the league I mean, and then you look at the the, uh, the defensive corner that came in, Dan Quinn. He is not the defensive mind that that, that Dallas needed to fix this defensive uh, this defensive unit. I just don't think he's the answer there for Dallas. Um, I, and honestly, in gambling circles, Dallas is always over, seems to be overhyped. You talked about yeah. how hyped they are. They're always getting hyped in the media. They're always overhyped in gambling circles. Um, their preseason, their uh, their under on their preseason win totals have hit sixty seven percent of the time since two thousand. So over the last 21 years, 21 seasons, they have the under has hit 14 um, out of tw- out of 21 times, so 67. percent So the numbers are there for me. I just it's going to be a, there's just too many things that suggest if that if you read the numbers and if you read what is most likely, I just think the under is the, the better bet here. Yeah, I, I mean six and ten last year. You have to think that Dak accounts for at least a few more wins though. And so that puts them right in the range. But what were they when Dak under. went down? Uh, they were, weren't they 500? And he went down in the mid, uh, the fifth game. I don't remember. Game. I don't remember. But I mean, he did win at least a few games. So I, yeah. Where they get, where they get two, two or three wins tops without him? Yeah. And so that team, they're the, they're the easily the most high upside in terms of the division. They have the highest over under. 
they also have by far the best quarterback and this is a quarterback driven league so if i'm thinking that they're going to win the division i'm also thinking that they're likely going to be able to push for 10 wins i think that it's a tough over under it's not something i want to trust because you're right though you're not going to get your bang for your buck it's an overhyped team every year there's value uh, so, in the under too. You get you get plus odds in picking the under. I I, I just like the bet. I'm honestly I I would consider putting personal dough on it. But in Arizona, the the gambling lines haven't opened up yet. I'm still waiting on that that legalized gambling permit to to pull through for Arizonians. Yeah, I mean it's just it's tough when you have an extra game this season. So getting to double digits is not as hard as it's going to be in previous years. We're talking about a ten and seven team winning the division, and I think that's very much in their wheelhouse of outcomes. And so I, I'm not confident going over or under in terms of it's an absolute slam play. Okay. Next team, the New York Giants, your babies. Last year they were six and ten. Their over-under win total on the season coming into the year is seven. They are plus four fifty to win this division. The X factors for this team, honestly, it's it's with the team culture and the identity. Joe Judge is the second year head coach now. They're going to have to improve and build upon some of the grit and hard nosed style they developed last year. Is Daniel Jones the quarterback? Is he the guy that's going to lead them to this con- discontention? To is is he going to lead them to success? What are your thoughts here on your Giants heading into the season, buddy? Oh, I'm so hyped for the Giants this year. I'm <laughs> irrationally and completely biasedly hyped. Um, you know some big additions this offseason the fact that they went out they went ahead and got i Kenny love Galladay, some of these additions honestly and they overpaid they also, for them but i like them you know you're in new york it's fine they're gonna get the revenue you kind of have to overpay sometimes yeah um if it means that it really fills out your roster and they had a need for a number one wide receiver uh additionally they they get their number one number two overall pick from a couple years ago uh, but the number one running back saquon barkley possibly the most talented running back in the league at least top five um and i think this this offense is going to vastly improve we're looking for that year three leap when you talk about quarterbacks you know typically it's the year three that's the make or break year for them when they've had a few years in the league uh, year one, Danny Jones threw for 24 touchdowns. We saw the splash plays. Year two, he cleaned up a lot of the um, a lot of the turnovers. He still had a decent amount, but the back half of the season, the Giants vastly improved. I think he's going to be more used to the Joe Judge system coming into year three now. And you talk about just the legitimacy of this offensive weapons. He has just stacked talent throughout this entire roster. And so if he is able to make that Josh Allen type leap, probably not to the same extent to where he's an MVP candidate, but he does have the legs. He has the big arm. He has accuracy down the field. If he can clean up the interceptions, this offense has very high potential to well overperform this over under. Um, You know, we're talking about sevens or over under. You're just talking about asking them to perform as well as they did last year. And last year they had no Saquon, they had no Galladay. They, they won six have wins. La- they had six wins last year, so you're right. one game better. Right, but I'm I'm also factoring the fact that they have an extra game too. Well, that's so. half a game, but you can't assume they're going to win that. You assume half, so you'd say six and a half was their win total last year. Yes, but they also they were tied for the lead of the division. They could have made the playoffs if freaking Eagles didn't bench Jalen Hurts. <laughs> so I mean, th- 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 I think this team has a lot of upside potential, and the, the defense was solid it was a solid defense it was yeah. an above average yeah. defense so if they're able that to maintain that that was and their strength get saquon healthy back on the field and and see what danny jones can do with galladay 
I, I like this team's upside a lot. And of course, I'm 100% biased and I'm fine with that. <laughs> Look, I got to I gotta rub your back here a little bit. I like Joe Judge. I, I like him. He's coming out of the Brady's, I mean, the Belichick school in New England. I, you, I knew you were going to bring up the Patriots somehow and talking about the Giants. <laughs> well, it lays a good foundation for him. I mean, clearly he comes from a place that has sustained success over the last couple of decades. He, he learned under one of the, the most bright minds in this sport. And Joe Judge, I liked I liked his first year in New York. I thought it was encouraging the way he developed an identity for that football team. They were clearly a team that won with their defense, played with what they could on offense. They were definitely suffering without without their star running back in Saquon Barkley, who they have a ton invested in just because of the, the draft capital and what they're probably going to have to eventually pay him if they're going to keep him because this team... It's it's kind of funny because you look at the way their their management team runs. I just I don't really like Dave Gettleman, the GM. I'm, no. I I mean it's kind of funny that he kind of stumbled into some decent uh, moves this 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 last offseason because I actually think probably Joe Judge had a lot to say about those moves. Um, but I mean. <laughs> From 2019 to 2020, there were a, a lot of questionable decisions before bringing in Joe Judge. I mean, J- Dave Gettleman, after the 2019 season, two uh, two years ago, for just two days after the end of the year, he goes, yeah, he, he hired four computer folks, quote unquote, and he met with a quote unquote big analyt- analytics guy. <laughs> this is the guy running your organization. And he drafted Saquon Barkley second overall in 2018. That's the opposite of what I would say an analytical decision is based upon. I mean, all the advanced analytics say that running backs are not worth, you know, their their, their weight in gold um, or their weight in, I don't know. I, wrong, I use the wrong metaphor. Yeah. So, <laughs> and, and for all the good things I think that they accomplished last year in terms of building an identity, they were terrible on offense in my opinion i mean they had four glaring problems that they needed to fix from 2019 to 2020 and i'll list you out the problems that i've researched um but instead of improving those i mean they brought in jason garrett as the offensive coordinator and and garrett just refused to address their struggles and i you have to wonder how much player personnel had to do with that whether or not the loss of saquon barkley early in the season kind of affected some of his tendencies but Honestly, I just have no faith in Jason Garrett. He's honestly my biggest X factor for the Cowboys coming into the year because you have to wonder how much, how involved he's going to be in forming this offensive scheme. Because I trust, while I trust Joe Brady, I mean Joe Judge on offense, I mean on defense, I I, I don't trust Jason Garrett on offense. And so, for me, this team is going to have to win with their defense, and I think they could. They proved that they could last year. So, let me talk to you about. The, the struggles that I saw in 2019, the research that I, I, I did kind of showed that in 2019, it had some glaring weaknesses that they needed to prove them in 2020. And Jason Garrett did a pretty poor job at addressing them. And the first one here is they, they were extremely run heavy on offense on early downs last year. I mean, in 2019, and they didn't address it in 2020. So just in general, in the NFL, passing is a more efficient play. P- passing the ball scores more points. If you're good at passing, your your offense is usually pretty good. Running on early downs doesn't also help a young quarterback. It ensures that most of his pass attempts are going to be coming on third downs when the defense is, is expecting you to pass the ball. And it also lowers a quarterback's confidence if he's dropping back knowing that his coaches don't trust him to throw the ball on first and second down. Like If, you're, if your coach doesn't call passing plays on, on, the, on the downs that are that breed most success most efficiency like what does that tell you as a young quarterback your coaches don't trust you that's pretty discouraging 
So I think that Daniel Jones, while he's had his own, a lot of his own struggles on his on his own, you know, in terms of performance, the coaching staff has not been doing him any favors. The Giants passed the ball on 49% of early downs in first half games. The league average is 54. They're 5% below league average on that. Only three teams ran the ball more often on early downs last year than the Giants. That's the Ravens with Lamar Jackson, the Patriots with Cam Noon, and the Titans with Derrick Henry. Not, those aren't teams that the Giants stack up against in terms of rushing attack. The Giants also held halftime leads last year in only five of 16 games, yet they still ran the ball at the same rate in the third quarter. That, that, that's not how you get back in the games when your rushing attack is inefficient and you're running the ball just as much as you did in the first half, but you're still behind. It's not good. Two, the, the, second, op, the second problem for the Giants. They run the ball into loaded boxes way too often. When defense when defenses have eight or more defenders in the box showing that they're trying to press up against the run, the Giants ran the ball 66% of the time in the first three quarters of games. These runs gained at a negative 0.16 EPA per attempt and averaged a 44% success rate on a 4.2 yards per carry. That's not good. Despite not having Saquon Barkley, the 2020 Giants ran the ball consistently on early downs and against stacked boxes. That is not forward thinking as uh, Dave Gettleman has suggested he wants his team to be. So that's not the kind of identity that the Giants are saying they want. Are they going to adjust? We'll have to see in 2021. The third problem, don't make Daniel Jones take under center play action snaps too often. He is much more efficient in play action from the shotgun. Daniel Jones does not like to turn his back on defenses. It's kind of usually a young trait, a young quarterback trait. The court, Daniel Jones doesn't feel comfortable turning his back to the op, to the defense. And he's much more effective in play action out of the shotgun when he can keep his eyes on the defense. He doesn't look away from them than when he's under center taking um, taking snaps um, from from his center up close. And so in his rookie season, Daniel Jones in shotgun play action plays, he had a 8.7 yard per attempt, 52% success rate, and a 0.17 EPA per attempt. That's pretty good stats. And then his uh, his rookie season under center, he had 4.7 yards per attempt, 34% success rate, and a negative 0.65 EPA per attempt. That's two years ago. So that's 2019. Clearly, he, he he's a better quarterback out of the gun. Jason Garrett, in 2020, what does he do when you see a rookie quarterback who has these big of tendencies? He doubles down on the bad stuff. He increased the number of plays of play actions under center last year compared to 2019. He went from 36% to 57% in 2020. Jason Garrett just doesn't get it. He doesn't, he's not able to observe these types of problems. Daniel Jones was notably worse on play action across the board in 2020 because of this usage brought up, brought on upon him from Jason Garrett. The fourth problem for the Giants I found, do do figure out how to improve the chemistry and effectiveness of passes to Evan Ingram, their elite athletic tight end. Evan Ingram had a great rookie season. We've already talked about that that on this podcast that, you know, we're comparing rookie tight ends to Evan Ingram and his 2018 season. It was excellent, but he's declined every season since. Why is that chemistry getting worse for Daniel Jones and his tight end Ingram? Ingram in 2020 last year had 6.1 yards per attempt on a 39% success rate, negative 0.19 EPA per attempt on 108 targets. That's not good. With his supreme athletic ability, the Giants need to find ways to improve these efficiency numbers for their their star talented tight end in Evan Ingram. Are you finding these? Yeah. Are you when you watch the Giants? Are you noticing these problems as well? 
Oh, absolutely. Last year, they were extremely inefficient on targeting Ingram. And the, the targets were not deep downfield either. Um, and I think a lot of that has to do with the lack of offensive weapons they were suffering from. And Ingram was probably their most talented pass catcher. And other teams knew that as well. Um, they knew he was, he's been a part of the system for years with Danny Jones. Um, and so they, they came up together. Um, and so it was easy for them to hone in on previously, you know, when they had Odell Ingram was kind of playing that second fiddle and he was able to uh, not have that type of pressure. So hopefully Kenny Galladay can spread some of that pressure out from him. You know, golden Tate was not the huge signing that the giants thought it was going to be, you know, and I mean, come on, you let they hope Kenny Galladay can be, I think Galladay can now when you're talking about somebody who's also like six, four, six, five, and he has that, end zone ability that long deep ball ability it should open up a lot more plays for evan ingram and i'm also hoping that you know an effective rush will allow him to leak out and and to use his athleticism we're also talking about a contract year for evan ingram and he really hasn't shown the juice to where the giants are going to want to resign him for all that money but he is going to want to market it himself to other teams out there so i think he has a lot on the line it's it's a prove it year for him it's a prove it year for this offense yeah for this whole team yeah it's been three years in the making. So, you know, I, I, I think they do have a lot of upside and, and they have the right pieces on offense. A lot of it will come down to that play calling, but having Saquon back will certainly help if they do decide to be boring and run the ball early on first downs, because, you know, when Gollman getting three yards on first down versus Saquon picking up six on the same type of play will have a large impact on what they do on second and third down. So I do yeah. think that, their rushing will be more effective so it will lessen the impact of poor play calling and this offense should be a lot more open with the amount of talent they have at wide receiver the fact mm-hmm. that they're going to bring in Kadarius Tony so hopefully by the second half of the season if he's able to get over some of these um what was it it was a COVID issue and an injury um but he's he's like a Tyreek Hill light type of player with extreme speed a first round draft pick they still have Sterling Shepard they still have Darius Slayton that they're bringing back who who both are above average at what they do you know Darius Slayton's a good deep ball cast pass catcher Sterling Shepard's very good out of the slot um so I think they're going to be well-rounded I think they're going to be decent in offense and even if the the defense remains as good as it was last year which I expect it to with Joe Judge um as the head coach you know they this team is extremely feisty they play hard you know, we already saw a preseason fight breakout where Danny Jones was on the bottom of a pile. I mean, I love that. This team is energized, and they, I think they have something to prove. Yeah. There's a lot of reason for optimism. I listed you a lot Am of Am I completely things. delusional, Ben? No, no, I- no. <laughs> I listed you a lot of negative things. And really, for me, the biggest, the biggest X factor and the biggest thing to be pessimistic about is just Jason Garrett. And he's not just he's not doing this offense any favors. I mean, the next gen stats for the NFL, they track what an expected completion percentage should look like for basing basing that on, you know, the the, the probability of a completion based on, you know, distance, uh how far they're throwing it, separation from the receiver, the pressure the quarterback's under. There's a lot of things they factor into that. Jones ranked thirty-third out of forty-one quarterbacks. Those are all factors that Daniel Jones doesn't really have control over. That's Jason Garrett's fault. He's not scheming him up easy throws for me the reasons for optimism are there though i mean per football outs uh, per f- uh, football outsider uh last year the giants faced the toughest slate of opposing defenses in the nfl and 
Daniel Jones, he, he posted the eighth highest adjusted completion percentage among co- qualified quarterbacks. And so I just told you, while he was very poor at um, adjusted completion or expected completion percentage, I, I reversed the stats there. Expected completion percentage was bad. Those are factors that he doesn't control. He was actually pretty pretty good at adjusted completion percentage among qualified quarterbacks because adjusted completion percentage takes into account the factors that are, are uh, balls that like the quarterback he can't deal with in terms of like drop passes, throwaways, spiked balls, passes bad at the line of scrimmage. Those are things he can't control, but he uh, those affect his completion percentage right. as a whole. So when you take those types of throws out, he actually was eighth in the NFL. So there's a lot of improvement there. Is if the rest of the, his teammates can get better around him, you know, there's some reason for optimism. And then, like you said, the, the offensive weapons here are, are just get, they're getting better and better. I mean, I loved bringing in Kenny Galladay. They paid him a lot of money. They paid him him as a number one option and despite the injury last year this the stats showed throughout his career he's a legitimate number one option for danny jones here i mean over the last two seasons galladay ranks 12th in yards per route run 2.12 out of 109 receivers with at least 400 routes run he ranked eighth in total yards 2,253 during the 2018 and 2019 season. He's averaged 18.3 yards per reception for his career. That's the most of any player during that span with at least 100 targets. Galladay is a legit number one. If he could stay healthy, I know the preseason injury concerns haven't been encouraging, but he—he's if he's on the field for Danny Jones, if he's healthy, he, he's going to give him a, a, a good passing, a good receiving option, and I think that's going to improve the efficiency on that side. Yeah, I mean, before with all the negative stats, I was on like the verge of crying there, Ben. But I'm I'm glad you turned it around a little bit there for me and uh, <laughs> hit me with some positive regression uh, metrics sure. in terms of Danny Jones completion percentage and and for expectations. Sure. So there there's a chance. This is what I'm hearing. There's a chance yeah. we could be at least maybe above 500 this year. Yeah. And you know who I kind of like is Kadarius Tony. I'm not hearing any really good things about him in the preseason. I just irrationally kind of like him coming out of Florida. He was physically one of like the most talented receivers in the last year's draft. Like he ran a 4.39 40-yard dash in his in his uh in his combine routine and really his draft pedigree was just tainted from his off-field troubles. I mean, he had a lot of problems with uh, the police when he was in Florida in 2018. Uh, Who didn't have a lot of problems right? with the police in Florida? Yeah, he was detained in 2018 for uh, running around campus with a painted paint paintball gun and he made it look like an AR-15 pointing at, at uh, people around campus. So that was not ideal. And then in twenty uh, in July of 2018, the police pulled him over for a seatbelt violation. They found a loaded AR-15 in his back seat. So... That was two years. That was three years ago. Um, you like to think that maybe the, some of those offseason problems are behind him. Hopefully, he kind of gets the ship straight in in New York. He does have a lot of physical talent to be optimistic about. I mean, if there was somebody who could help get him right, maybe the the offspring of Bill Belichick, Joe Judge, you know, and that coaching tree can help yeah. whip him into shape. I mean, he does seem like a hardline coach. After they did have that uh, that tussle and. Uh, in the preseason, he made every single Giants player run wind sprints yeah. without saying a word, you know, lined him up, yeah. ran him to the ground. And that's exactly the t- uh, leader at the head coaching position. That's not going to take any guff. And he's going to get these guys in line, you know, get it's the giant way, you know, <laughs> it's the new giant yeah. way. <laughs> I really like Joe Judge's uh, interview in the Flying Coach podcast with Sean McVay over the last offseason, too. He's just a good guy. 
I really, I, I didn't really have, I mean, I had appreciation for what he was doing in New York last year, but I didn't know too much about him personally. I did like what I heard, heard from him within the hour you get to speak with him. It's a pretty unique experience when you hear a head coach like that, you know, speaking so openly, openly um, to, an, uh, you know, a counterpart. Sean McVay is a, a counterpart in his own right. You know, he's in the, he's in the NFC West, but pretty neat when you cut to hear those types of conversations i would definitely recommend i know you're a giants guy i would definitely recommend listening back to that one. Oh yeah i hope he didn't give up too many trade secrets uh, no they all they all they're all cognizant about that they try to hold some things <laughs> back all right connor let's talk about some fantasy football picture here for the giants let's kick it off with their their highest draft pick in fantasy drafts is saquon barkley he's currently going in the average draft position of seven Honestly, personally, I, I'm fading Barkley this season as a top five running back. I just don't think he, he has that ceiling, but the risk for me is just too high. I, I, I just the, the crucial part of uh, such a crucial part in the fantasy draft, that first round, like you, you like Matthew Barry hones this in every year. He's like, you can't win your fantasy season in the first round. Like you're not going to win it because you're going to win it in the middle rounds with value, but you could definitely lose your fantasy season in the first round. If you don't pick the right guy, Saquon is just too risky of a play for me that high in the draft. I- I'm going to pick someone who I'm more sure of. I, I honestly, unless the value is there, where he goes like drops into maybe the, the, the nine or 10 range of your draft. That's when I'm going to start considering him But where he's currently going at seven. That's just too high for me. It's too high of a price tag. Yeah, I mean, he just – to be able to, at the back end of the first round get a player who does have the type of ability to be the number one overall fantasy running back and it's, number one overall it's a gamble, fantasy player. But it, yeah, the upside's there. The upside is certainly there. I, I understand the hesitation because what's going to be crucial for Saquon and crucial for the, the Giants and their success this year is the crucial – ligament you know is the the acl is the mcl how how did it heal this is not a typical acl injury too because he tore multiple ligaments in his knee and he also had a meniscus repair so they're being very careful about bringing him back slowly when you have that type of damage it's not as easy as a recovery of oh quick stitch on the acl and it's a typical timeline it's definitely going to be a longer um longer recovery period and they're going to have to more slowly bring him back to form so he might get it's, it's another situation like that where he might get off to a slow start in the beginning and if you're saying hey i'm investing round one draft capital i understand the hesitation in it. and you're not gonna ruin your team by t- maybe taking aaron jones or ezekiel elliott or nick chubb instead if you're still worried about saquon um I just don't think those guys necessarily quite have the same upside. You know, Nick Chubb has Kareem Hunt, so I don't think he's gotten number one. Aaron Jones has Aaron Rodgers, who loves to throw it near the end zone. So those guys are certainly safer options from an injury perspective. But, you know, do you want to take the chance to take the chance that Saquon just being the everything for the Giants this year? It's certainly there. Yeah, and for me, it's not just the injury concerns. It's this offensive line from New York. Their op- the offensive line last year was horrendous in run blocking. They were 31st in the league. I mean, Barkley averaged 0.3 yards per con- uh, before contact per attempt before getting hurt last year. And it was a small sample size, albeit, but with that... They played maybe one or two games. It, I, yeah, but I mean, with, with such a poor statistic like that, I mean, yeah. he's just, he's not getting... You have to take that in consideration. I mean, even even so, I mean, that's just, that's not good. He They were not creating running space all year last year. So uh, for me, Barkley, the upside's there, but that O-line kind of caps it a little bit. 
hinders a little bit. I think it prevents him from maybe even being able to reach that number one status as an RB in, in an ideal situation. Um, but like you said, I mean, he's just such an elite talent when healthy. Um, you could totally see this going going right for him, and that's a possibility you got to consider. Yeah, I think the back end of the first round is probably where he should be. I, I have him ranked at five yeah. right now. And I, I would have no problem ranking him second or third if we knew he was fully healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's just the only the only drawback right there. Gotcha. All right, we talked about Kenny Galladay, the, the the free agent wide receiver brought into New York to try to right the ship in the passing game for them. Currently being drafted at 68 in the average half position, he's the wide receiver 25. At that value, honestly, I think Galladay is an excellent pick. I, I, I The only hesitation I have about selecting Galladay there is just the, the amount of talent in that portion of the draft is pretty pretty staggering. There's a lot of great mm-hmm. receivers that are going right in that kind of bundle there. Um, and that's honestly The wide just, receiver depth this year is, yeah. is unparalleled. The opportunity know, cost. It. That's the only yeah. thing that's keeping me from drafting Galladay in that, in that spot. Yeah, I mean, again, it's the same type of concern Galladay uh, has with Saquon. You know, they both are just extremely talented individuals. They have all the physical gifts. Can he remain on the field, though? Because if you want him on your fantasy roster, the only way you're going to get production is if he's able to actually play in games. Um, but this, he's an unparalleled number one option on this offense. So when you're talking about other guys in that same range, you you have called out here Brandon Ayuk, Chase Claypool, T. Higgins – they're all heavily fighting for targets with with their teams. Ayuk dealing with Debo and George Kittle, um, Claypool obviously with with Juju and Deontay Johnson, and then T Higgins with Jamar Chase and Tyler Boyd. Galladay's not going to have that same competition for targets. He is. I like by far, I, I like Shepard and 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 Slayton though. They're good. They're good. But, but not, I get it. I get what you're saying. They're not George Kittle putting up 1,400 yards. That type of that yeah. type of production. You know, Juju's been a top 10 wide receiver previously. Deontay Johnson's got to get 10 targets, 12 targets a game. Um, and Debo could easily be the the number one wide receiver there too, as well. And then Tyler Boyd and Jamar Chase. Jamar Chase is being uh, drafted more highly than T. Higgins. So if you're saying, you know. And he was a top five, top six pick overall. I, I, I get it. I think that I would prefer Galladay over those guys if we knew he was healthy and there was no injury concern. Um, yeah. But yeah, the, the reports out of camp are not that he's looking the most explosive, which has me a little bit worried too. Yeah, for me, I, I personally probably take the upside of you, uh, Claypool, and Higgins over him. But guys that are also being like just drafted ahead of them, I just think are, are, well, while maybe in in a vacuum, I draft I draft some of these guys higher than Galladay. I think the value is definitely not as high. I mean, James Robinson at running back position is at forty nine, Deontay Johnson fifty nine, Chase at sixty. ETN 61, Michael Thomas, who's someone I would definitely not draft over Galladay. He's at 64, Hawkinson 65. I would definitely prefer to wait on the tight end position at this spot in the draft. Melvin Gordon, he is way too high, 66. Chase Edmonds, 68. Like these are all guys that I just don't think that their value is there nearly yeah. as much as Galladay. They're either unproven or they're heavily sharing their workload. And when that's the case, you know, it's those are the values that just don't exist and probably won't be on my draft board. They're probably one to two rounds too early where it sounds like Galladay is in the right space based on the wide receivers going around him. But he's also certainly not as bad of a pick and as bad of a value as some of those other guys you mentioned. Yeah. All right, let's go to the tight end position. Evan Ingram is currently drafted at the 123rd mark in, in fantasy drafts right now at the ADP position at the tight end 12. 
Honestly, I project Ingram to have a, a higher ceiling than f- at least four of the five tight ends going ahead of him in drafts right now. That includes Logan Thomas, Dallas Goddard, Rob Gronkowski, who is just always drafted way too high, Robert Tanyan, and no- Noah Fant. Is, he's the tight end 11. I think he m- might be the only one in that bunch that has a higher ceiling possibly than Ingram just because of Fant's athleticism and probably a better situation in terms of um, you know just an offense that has a better offensive line, maybe a quarterback that is going to be more efficient with the passing game. I think Fant is co- comparable at least in terms of a ceiling but for me ingram has more potential than all those other guys i listed out there for you i mean logan thomas you look at him he's he's getting drafted i think that the tight end six or seven position thomas didn't become fantasy relevant until he was 29 years old last year dallas goddard he's going to be competing with targets with zach Ertz for a workload in philadelphia yeah gronkowski like i said is just way too huge of an injury risk he's just at this point in his career he's just he's competing He's he, he's competing also. He's so in, low down on that depth chart. In exactly terms of the the target tree. And he's got two younger, more athletic tight end options around him. In uh, right, OJ Howard is back this year. And Robert Tunyon, he's undoubtedly going to have some touchdown regression this season. His efficiency numbers in yardage and receptions last year. We we talked about that on the NFC North podcast, uh, where they were his reception and yardage efficiency numbers were terrible. So. One out of every five catches for Tanyan was a touchdown. That's yeah. crazy. That yeah. no no other no other tight end had that type of production yeah. in terms of touchdowns. Not even Travis Kelsey. Yeah, I, I think Ingram's a, a great value at the tight end twelve draft position. Right now, I currently have him as my tight end ten. I have him behind guys like Goddard, Fant, and I. I we'll get to um, you know some of the guys that we value highly. I have Higby at tight end seven i think that he's an excellent value i have him way over a lot of consensus rankings but engram we're talking about here i, I think he he i have him above guys like logan thomas robert tanyan mike Gesicki, or Irv smith jr there's no reason for me to be drafting those guys ahead of ingram just the potential there for him i just think is way too high yeah i mean after those first seven guys you know obviously kelsey kittle waller hawkinson pitts andrews and then for me it's higby I, I don't mind taking any of those because I think the amount of upside and, and safety for all of them is pretty high when you talk about their ADP. But then you get into that Fant, Thomas, Tunyon, Goddard range, you're going to be paying a decently high price tag for somebody that has a lot of uh, a lot of possible downside without the same upside as an Evan Ingram who's coming even later in drafts. And yeah. so I think there is certainly value to taking Evan Ingram if he's going to be the 12th yeah. tight end on the board. He yeah. has top five tight end upside. We've seen it as a well, rookie. And, and the fact and that they see he just that has the he's declined. Skills. Well, the fact that they see that the, he's declined is something that they know they have to address now as an improvement. So hopefully mm-hmm. you see some positive regression to the normal to the norm here for Ingram this year. All right, Connor, the over-under win total pick is seven. I, there's no way for you to be unbiased here, but I'll tell you right now, I'm picking the over on your Giants this season. Where are you? Wow. That's scary. Don't take the over, Ben. That's going <laughs> to jinx them. But I, I, I'm on the over as well. Um, I am very optimistic about this team's future, obviously, as a fan, as a fanatic. Um, and with they made a lot of good moves in the offseason. You have a second-year head coach. That's typically when you see the team take a jump, uh, especially the quarterback in, in a new system uh, takes that second-year leap. Um, I, I'm very hopeful for for my Giants this year, and it's not, it's not the way I've felt in a while. We've had a lot of disappointment lately. Yeah, and, and, and I was giving you a hard time about it earlier on the podcast, but... A lot of guff from you, the, a lot the, of guff. The, the, the fact that they won six games last year, this team feels better than one game 
than they were last year. Like they got Saquon back. They brought in a Dory Jackson, who I really like as a, at the cornerback position for them. Galladay and Jackson are they were that was those were the key free agent signings for them. Those are guys are both under 28 years old, have a lot of juice left in their careers. I think that those were excellent free agent signings to bring it into. I mean, this this team that you know didn't wasn't completely disappointing last year. They had moments of of, of you know positive positivity. They had moments of success, some some identity building moments for them last year. And the offensive unit, I mean, we've been talking about this. They have a war chest of explosive passing options for Daniel Jones. This is going to be a prudent year for him and a lot of guys on this offense. And bringing back Barkley, who's one of the league's best running backs, you just got to hope that they stay healthy because that's, the signs are there for – and the personnel is there for a good season out of this offense. Um, and the, de- the defense is going to have to bring it again this season. Um, so we'll see. I also – I mentioned how weak the offensive line was last year. Um, they're going to get Nate Solder back. Nate Solder was a COVID opt-out. So he's going to be, you know, he, at this point in his career, he's a little bit on the back end of that. But, you know, he, he's going to help sure up some of that O-line, those O-line struggles who the O-line for the Giants has going to have a lot of young and unproven players. And so that's going to leave them for some opportunity for growth on that on that front. It'll at least provide that team with, you know, somebody who has experience, a nifty veteran who who will bring some stability to the position at least. Yeah. And they also last year, the Giants had some bad luck with fumble recoveries. They did a good job at forcing fumbles. They were they, they forced the fourth most fumbles in the league, but they were unlucky with recovering them. They only had they only recovered 39 percent of opponent fumbles last year. That was 26th in the NFL. They also did a poor job at recovering their own fumbles, ranking 25th on offensive recoveries. They'll hope to bring some. They'll hope some of the bounces go their way this year. I mean, both literally and metaphorically. So, I think the Giants. I think they're going to be trending in the right direction here. The 2021-22 season. Yeah, they and you know this wasn't an off-season pick, but last year in the middle of the season they signed. Um, they traded for Leonard Williams, uh, and then they actually signed him to a long-term deal. And he he was very good in shoring up that run defense um, on the D line there. And I think he's going to perform well now that you know he has a team where that they've shown some confidence in him, um, giving him a contract. Yeah, we gotta we gotta be optimistic for your Giants, Connor. I'm sorry, I, don't I wanna, can't believe I don't, it. I don't want to reverse jinxing you. I don't want to reverse gross. jinx you, but. We got. I, I'm telling you, I, I'm pretty optimistic about that over on the seven. All right, buddy, let's let's roll into the next team, the Philadelphia Eagles. Last year, they were four and twelve. A very disappointing season. They were their over under win total on the upcoming year is six and a half. They are plus five fifty to win this division. The X factor here has got to start with the quarterback position because Jalen Hurts and his offensive line is going to you know make or break this offensive unit for the Eagles. Um, nothing can derail a young quarterback's development worse than an, an offensive line that just can't protect him. And, and Philly's la, Philly's offensive line last year was banged up all season long. They were the 32nd ranked offensive line in terms of health, and they were 30th in wide receiver health, and they were 30th in tight end health. They had a plethora of injuries. Their only team that lost more injury, more players due to injuries were the San Francisco 49ers. New England did lose more players um, due, I mean, due to uh, COVID dropouts. So Opt-outs, New, Eng- yeah. New England did have worse rankings in terms of games adjusted, like James lost adjusted uh, from football outsiders, but uh, that's because they had a lot of COVID dropouts. So the Eagles are definitely gonna be hoping for just a healthier season because that's that's just going to make things a little bit better for Jalen Hurts in his sophomore season here um, because the offensive line has a lot of talented players, a lot of good veterans, but 
when they weren't playing last year, I think they started nine different guys at different times last year on the offensive line. When you have that kind of, you know, inconsistency on such an important unit of your offensive team, that's tough. I mean, we're going to have to see some proven on that end for them this year. Yeah, I, I think that this team is definitely going to get better. Jalen Hurts should provide some stability at the quarter pres- quarterback position that obviously Carson Wentz did not. They, he has a bit of a different skill set, so even if the offensive line does break down a little bit, uh, we saw in the four games played that he's able to scramble, he's able to throw outside of the pocket, he's able to run for 10 yards or so um, on a broken down play. So that should at least help having a mobile quarterback when you talk about the the issues with the O-line. Um Obviously, big signing getting Devonta Smith. You have Jalen Rager coming into year two. Still have Dallas Goddard. And then Boston Scott's a decent pass-catching running back. Miles Sanders is a good pass-catching running back. Um, you know, if the health is there, this team also has some upside. Very young team. Um, I, I love Jalen Hurts' mentality. The reports out of camp are good. Apparently, he's looking more accurate already. Um, you know, being in a system, having that offseason to prepare actually some preseason games the ability you know he where he, Jalen Hurts didn't have that last year right it was a very weird season in terms of timing with COVID um so it was difficult for a lot of rookie quarterbacks to kind of level up uh and now he's going to be handed the keys to the car and I, I think that the Eagles sh- should look better on offense at least Definitely. I we'll talk about Hurts when we get to the fantasy section here, but um, I, I'm pretty definitely optimistic a better about, fantasy quarterback. Exactly, than... exactly. You took the words right out of my mouth because I mean, last year he produced a 0.12 EPA per play on 7.2 yards per attempt and a 52% completion percentage. That would have translated to the 21st ranked quarterback um, had he qualified as a starter last year. So, I mean, those numbers are are okay. They're mediocre. Uh, you're For the first need, four games as a rookie, exactly. it's not the worst, right? You're going to need to see some improvement, especially with ball security from Hertz. He fumbled the ball too much, especially on his rushing attempts. Um, but, you know, he was very effective with his rushing. He Nobody ran the ball more in his first, uh, what was it, four games besides uh, Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson is the only other quarterback in the history of the sport to run the ball as much as Hertz did. And... He excelled when the play broke down last year. So he, when he was out of the pocket and he was moving his feet, he 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 did really well. But it resulted in him holding the ball too long. He he held the ball on average three point one one seconds per play. That's the longest in the league. He his average pass went nine and a half yards, which is the second longest distance for any quarterback. Those are inefficient tendencies. You don't want to be holding the ball too long. You want to you want to reduce the uh, amount of air yards you're putting on your uh, pass attempts. And so he's going to need to be a more scripted quarterback. Learn how to you know work more in the scheme of an offense in his sophomore year. And I, you know they brought in a new coaching staff, Nick Sirianni, offensive coordinator Shane Steichen there's going to be you know some changes with the coaching staff this year and uh, I think Hertz is is going to benefit from hopefully a better scheme um, on the offensive side of the football because there was more or less just kind of backyard street football for Hertz last year you know scramble off the pocket make something happen Doug Peterson really lost control of that team in the second half of the year he lost the locker room he lost the players and it does seem like this team has rallied around Hertz um in this yeah. new system, camp, they they place a lot of confidence in him. He's he is a natural born leader. He's only be, ever been a winner when it was either Alabama, and then he went to transition to Oklahoma, where they said, "Hey, you know, you're not really our guy. We're gonna go rock with Tua." 
And then he was outstanding in Oklahoma. He yeah. threw the ball like crazy. He le- definitely leveled up in college as a passer that year, and it made him that much better of a draft prospect. He does have high draft pedigree. He's a second-round quarterback. He's not one of the first guys off the board, but second round is still a pretty hefty investment. And I think that you know the Eagles are definitely going to see what he's capable of this year. And I do like this team to step up offensively. Agreed. The big another big question for the Eagles heading into the year is just how this coaching staff is going to play out because they brought in a new head coach, new offensive coordinator, new defensive coordinator. It's just how is this new coaching regime going to shape the team because they get consistently ranked as one of the worst coaching staffs coming into the league, but it's just because they're unknown. These guys are all you know new to the organization. I think this is all their first uh, opportunities in these positions. At least I know Nick Sirianni has never been a head coach. Um, Sirianni comes from a background where he worked with Todd Haley and Romeo Cronell in Kansas City. Um, he worked with Mike McCoy in San Diego, but he was mostly recently working as the offensive coordinator in Indianapolis under Frank Reich for the last three seasons. So Sirianni comes in, he's high energy, he's a competitive guy, he's a little chippy. He he has a little bit more edge than advertised. He's he's kind of guy like your guy in in New York. He's going to have um, you know a little bit of a hard nose hard lowbrow type of feel um and he's and i think it's a good fit for philadelphia the fans here in philadelphia really care about the eagles and siriano has already talked about like he was walking around in philadelphia guys wanted to take his their pictures with him they spent 30 minutes just chatting with him like his wife was just sitting there waiting for him um so it's kind of neat when you see a guy like this you know it's good that he gets the opportunity he comes into a, a pretty prestigious organization like the eagles um we'll see how this coaching staff plays out i mean the offensive scheme is going to need a lot of improvement and, and just going to need to create more plays in situations that's going to benefit their young athletic quarterback next gen stats i talked about that with danny jones how Jason Garrett was hurt was hurting him based on the next what the next gen stats were showing. They tracked Hertz's uh, expected completion percentage last year at fifty five point five percent, which ranked last out of forty one qualifying quarterbacks. So, the offensive scheme last year was horrendous for Hertz. I already told you that he was throwing the ball too far and holding the ball too long. He attempted more throws with a higher degree of difficulty than any other quarterback last year. I mean, Sirianni, Sirianni's job. And year one is just going to be scheme up some easier completions for Hertz. Get some scripted plays in for him. Screen passes, short slants, bubble screens, running back, running back outs. Like there's just going to be a lot of ways that they're going to have to just build his confidence as a second year quarterback. They're going to need to get the ball out of his hands a little bit faster, a little bit more efficiently. And I do think they have the right talent around him to be able to accomplish that. You know, they have a good, they have a pair of good pass catching tight ends. Um, you know, Rager and Smith are both very quick players, so you can easily give them a screen and they can take it pretty far. Um, you know, they have Miles Sanders, Boston Scott, and Kenneth Gainwell, all three running backs, uh, Kenneth Gainwell being their draft pick this year and fourth, fifth round or so out of Memphis, I believe. Um, they're all decent pass catchers. So when you have that type of skill set around you, if a play breaks down, you have the dump off to the running back and and that'll help his stats as well. Um, it's something I heard coming out of the preseason games. Unfortunately, we didn't get to see Hertz last week. Yeah. Apparently, he was pretty sick. I would have loved to see him play against the Patriots uh, like instead, a stomach of, infection or instead of the corpse of Joe Flacco. But yeah, apparently, uh, it was pretty rough. Uh, not COVID, though, which is good news as well. Um, but yeah, the, the reports are that they're drawing up the system to have him specifically not hold on to the ball as long. It's something they noted. It was kind of that 
Russell Wilson effect where he has a tendency to hold the ball a long time to try and make something happen. Oftentimes these mobile quarterbacks do. Um, but if he's able to progress as an NFL quarterback and realize that, you know, you don't have to hit the big play every time. Sometimes it's just about surviving, living to the next down and getting those four or five yards. I think we could see um, some nice progression from Jalen Hurts in this Eagles offense. Definitely. All right. The fancy football outlook. Let's talk. Let's start with the running back position. Miles Sanders, he's getting drafted right now as the RB twenty. That's the thirty fourth ADP overall. He's a t- look. He's a talented, explosive running back. He should improve in his pass catching efficiency because that was what they expected of him. Uh, you know, coming out of college, he's a good pass catcher. Last year, he dropped twenty percent of his targets. That was the worst in the league. So you could only go up from there. He's, he was an excellent receiver as a rookie in 2019. He had 50 catches, 500, 509 yards. I'd expect him to be somewhere in between that those numbers there. Um, you know, for me, though, the ceiling's a little bit capped with Sanders a little bit this year. Fifth-round pick, Kenneth Gainwell, you already talked about out of Memphis. He could earn himself a legitimate role as the team's third-down pass-catching back, stealing some targets from Sanders and taking some value from Boston Scott and on Johnson. Jalen Hurts also, you know, kind of caps Miles Sanders' rushing attack. You know, Hurts is the second best rushing rushing quarterback in the league behind Lamar. He's bound to take away some of the red zone carries from Sanders as well. So that's going to hurt his fantasy value there. I just think, you know, the talent's there for Sanders, but maybe the opportunity is getting a little bit worse. So if we didn't see, you know, the elite numbers from him the last couple of years, where, you know, a lot of people were incredibly optimistic about his potential, you know, with the situation getting a little bit worse this season, I think he's kind of appropriate appropriately valued right now at the RB20 spot, spot 34th overall. That's kind of right around where I would be taking him. Yeah, he definitely is in a similar situation with like someone like J.K. Dobbins where Lamar Jackson is going to eat into those red zone opportunities. He's going to get a lot of the rushing touchdowns himself, but these are both extremely talented players when they have the ball in their hands. Um, I believe he was one of the most explosive running backs last year in terms of breaking off long runs. And he always has that upside potential. He has had some injury issues himself, though. So this is a player with top 10 upside for sure. I think it's a decent value in drafts. I have him going a little bit higher than that ADP. I do think he's a little bit too high in my rankings. Now I might have him around 13, probably see him around 15 or 16. But there are a lot of running backs with a lot of question marks that don't have the proven track record kind of, of Miles tough, Sanders. A tough zone for running backs. It is. You, you know, you're talking about Clyde Edwards Hilaire. Joe I definitely Mixon, I like CEH more than him. I like I like Joe Mixon. Josh Jacobs, David Montgomery. Yeah, those so, are the ones that I'm talking about. A little bit more. There's there's question marks there with those guys. Chris Carson, Daryl Henderson. And I do like Miles Sanders better than those options. I like I'm I'm worried about a you guy like Joe Carson. Mixon. Um yeah, I, I know you love Carson this year. I know you do, but I just don't think he has quite the same upside that we that a player like Miles Sanders has, which is why if typically I, I draft more for upside in fantasy drafts in the earlier rounds, and I like to go for my like RB two. Um to be the safer option. So I, I guess it depends on, did you already stack a guy uh, as your, your, your first pick? Cause my Sanders probably be your second or third pick in fantasy drafts. So yeah, you know, there All definitely right. is room to construct a roster where he is a, a decent option for you. All right. Let's talk about the quarterback position. We already been touching a lot about Jalen Hurts, So we don't need to reiterate anything that we've already said, but you know, his value obviously in fantasy is incredibly high just considering how elite of a running quarterback he is. 
honestly, I, I can't remember the stat I heard, but in, in Matthew Berry um, was talking about how quarterbacks, I think, finished in the top 10 last year. I think only two of them were ones that didn't run the ball at least uh, 50 times, I think it was. And that was, or maybe not, maybe that's, I think it was that they didn't at least have 50 running yards, rushing yards. Mm-hmm. And that was Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady. Um, so if, if you're going to be a relevant fantasy quarterback, starting quarterback, you got to run the ball and Hertz runs the ball. He's very good. And that's going to bring him a lot of points in fantasy. Um, obviously, you know, some improved health on the offensive line would, should help him as well. You know, they do have a good offensive line front when they're healthy. So they got to assume that you got to, you got to hope that there's going to be some normalization in that department. Um, and then, you know, I love – we'll get to Devonta Smith. I really love him. I like that option coming in for Hertz as well. The new coach, hopefully, Sirianni can just give up some more options for Hertz. I'm, a little, I'm pretty optimistic about his opportunities so long as he doesn't lose a starting job because really that's the risk with him because he, he could really just perform very poorly in, fan, in real football and he just loses the starting gig. Maybe they trade for Deshaun Watson even. like that's Yeah, I was going to say, is there another quarterback on that roster where you worry about them running him out there? I mean, they, they had that third string out there last year in the last game of the season. He looked horrible. I don't, I don't worry too much about that. I, what would worry me is if they had some success, say they were two and two, three and two, four, four and three or something like that. But Jalen Hurts is like clearly the one that's holding them back. I wouldn't be shocked if they'd made a trade and kind of moved on in the middle of the season. But they, a second round pick, I think he's going to have at least half the season to see what he can do. And if he's even mediocre, a second round pick is a big difference from a first round pick in terms of a quarterback. So while while he, that's that's still a high pick, that there's a big difference in in a quarterback evaluation. So I mean the Eagles. Uh, don't get me wrong, maybe a mid-season change at quarterback. The quarterback position is a little bit far-fetched, a little bit less likely. But if he doesn't perform this year, they're not going to be hard-pressed to, you know, turn the page on the Jalen Hurts era in the offseason next year. Yeah, I think I think he's pretty safe, at least for this year. We see the Deshaun Watson hype kind of breaking down a little bit in terms of that trade, especially because... You know, the FBI is getting involved in the Deshaun Watson case. It sounds like that's kind of taking a turn for the worst, and we're not even sure if he's going to play this year. So probably going to lower it. I think we both have him in like the 17 to 20 range in our rankings because of that upside, but it's looking less and less likely that he's going to play this year. Yeah, So he's yeah. probably going to I've, drop down too. That's definitely a good point. I got to take a look at that. All right, let's talk about some of the pass catching options here for Philadelphia. Like I said, I really love Devonta Smith currently being drafted at the 80 spot, wide receiver 31. He's being drafted 20 spots lower than Jamar Chase just because the only reason is he's small. Because that's that's really the only reason. I mean, my my not-so-bold prediction, I think, honestly, I think Devonta Smith and Jalen Waddle both end up scoring more fantasy points than Jamar Chase. Chase didn't play last year. People just seem to gloss right over that fact. He hasn't played in over a, se- a full season of football. And he's just... A, the, the, the early camp reports are not incredibly encouraging. He, You know, the, Cincinnati has no offensive line. They did not address, address that in the offseason. Joe Burrow is going to take some time to shake the rust off after that big injury he had last year. Like we have, this isn't a podcast about the Bengals, but I got to tell you, I'm while well, how pessimistic I am about Chase and his outlook for the season. I'm optimistic about Devonta Smith. I mean, this guy, the the only weakness, the literally the only weakness I could find on this guy is he's small, and he's not even that small. So you look at like. Small. I tried to look at small wide receivers across the last, you know, recent history of the NFL, and really the easy comparison is Deshaun Jackson. Deshaun Jackson is five ten, 
175 pounds. Devonta Smith is six foot 174. So he's two inches taller, weighs about the same. Deshaun Jackson came out of Cal in college in 2008. It was his rookie season with, with the Philadelphia Eagles. He finished as the wide receiver 29 in standard scoring leagues. He had 62 receptions on 912 yards. I think he had four touchdowns on that year. If you're Deshaun Jackson, if Deshaun, Devonta Smith is Deshaun Jackson, it's a pretty good. That's a pretty good draft pick. I mean, Deshaun Jackson was very good early in his career, and those stats, 62, 900, 912 for for Jackson his rookie season, like just based on inflation in today's NFL, like those numbers are going to be way higher if he even has a, a season similar to Deshaun Jackson's rookie year, and. I think J- Smith is the more talented receiver amongst that those two. Smith had an excellent college career in Alabama. Like we can't forget that kind of Heisman run he had at Alabama. It was incredible. And really the only knock on him seems to just be that he's he's small because in terms of route running, knowledge of the game at this point in their career, like Jack in terms of comparison to Deshaun Jackson, like Smith's floor for me is a, easily a top 30 finish at the wide receiver position. And the upside is like Justin Jefferson type of production for me. I think he could finish in the top 15, Devonta Smith. If if everything goes right for Philadelphia where the offensive line stays healthy, Hurts turns into a, a, a quality passing quarterback, I think I think uh, the the opportunity for Devonta Smith to finish in the top like 15 to 18 wide receiver range, like that's definitely in the cards here. I think more, more likely, I think I have him in the low low 20s, mid to low 20s. But the point is like the upside is there. The the uh, the, the floor is high for a guy like this. The injury the, to his knee is not concerning anymore. You already see, saw him playing in his first preseason game the other night against the Patriots. He looked great in that, by the way. The guy just creates separation. He gets open he, and he doesn't drop the ball. He's just like, there's nothing bad about this guy. The only thing that they keep knocking on him is the size. And I'm not buying it. I just, I don't think he's that small. He's small, but he's not that small where he, you know, he can't, he can't be an elite receiver. He was the most productive college wide receiver last year. And so, yeah, I mean, just the fact that he was the third wide receiver taken off the board um, has him going lower in fantasy drafts. And I think that gives you opportunity and upside. He has the clearest path to being possibly the number one wide receiver on his team when you compare him to Jamar Chase and Jalen Waddle. Waddle is going to be playing with Devonta Parker and uh, with Will Fuller. So there's going to be competition for targets there. And like you said, T Higgins and Tyler Boyd are playing with Jamar Chase. Jalen Rager is not the same type of player for competition as those other uh, options in, in Miami and in Cincinnati. So there's clear upside for Devonta to actually take over as the number one wide receiver on this team. And so, I, yeah, you're right. The, the Justin Jefferson type of numbers are are reachable or possibly attainable. And it, it could be the ceiling for um for Devonta this year. Yeah. I I just I, I continue to just hear great things about him and I'm just I'm buying it. I'm buying it. I'm I'm all over Devonta this year. All right, let's talk about the tight end position. Dallas Goddard and Zach Gertz for Philadelphia. And really the story of these two guys is just that they're they're both eating each other's value. I can't I can't draft Goddard with Ertz on this roster and I'm not going to. I just refuse. I know the value's there if Ertz leaves, even if Ertz doesn't leave, like Goddard's still a good tight end. Don't get me wrong, but the value is just gone. 
There's just no mm-hmm. reason to draft him where he's currently being picked. And for me, like, there's just tight end is like the have and the have nots. You either get one of those top three guys or you wait and you get a value late in the draft because there's no point yeah. in drafting Dallas Goddard in, in in the top 80 picks and expecting any sort of value out of there, especially oh. when Zach Ertz is going to eat his targets. I'll, I'll wait two or three rounds and I'll take Evan Ingram and I'll be a lot happier at that value. For sure. For sure. All right. Let's go into the over-under win total pick here. Six and a half is the Eagles win total line where are you going with this one um i think i think i'm going to go over as well you know we're not talking about crazy production to get to seven and ten i, I probably want to re, re, re uh relook at my cowboys pick because i'm taking the over on the on the, the eagles and the over on the giants so i probably should go under on the giants uh, i mean on the uh, cowboys now just just based Dude, on stop, the way stop the, listening to everything i'm saying like you gotta you gotta be your own man connor <laughs> Shut up, Ben. <laughs> I'm going the over here for Philadelphia as well. I expect some normalization in the health department. I think it's going to bode well for Philly. They also have the third easiest schedule according to Bet MGM's project uh, projected wins totals on the season. They are also expected to face the easiest schedule of opposing offenses in the NFL. Jalen Hurts also has a lot to improve upon, specifically with his passing abilities. I could see him getting a lot better this season. He's an excellent leader, like we keep saying. I, I like the opportunity for Sirianni to improve um, upon that offensive scheme and implement a new culture in Philadelphia that's going to breed well for Hurts. Um, for me, I think just also Devonta Smith is the guy for me. I think he's the biggest X factor in terms of uh, raising this team's ceiling. I think Devonta Smith could be the guy that you know leads this this pass catching group, um, and it's, I'm just highly encouraged about what what I'm seeing out of him. Yeah, I think both the Eagles and both the Giants, two teams that recently beat the Pats in the Super Bowl, have a lot of upside this year if health goes their way. <laughs> Just had to throw in that Pats dig for you. I know. I was like, all right. <laughs> all right. All right, let's talk about the last team in this division, the Washington football team. They were – shoot, I didn't even write down their, their record last year. They were 7-9, and nine, were they not? 7-9, and nine, their over-under win total is 8.5. They are plus 230 to win this division on the season. Coming to the year, um, they brought in Ryan Fitzpatrick. Old uh... old Fitzy. Yeah, you're right. They were 7-9 and nine last year because they were in that last game against the Eagles. If the Eagles had beaten them, then the Redskins would have had the same record mm-hmm. as the Giants, and the Giants would have gone to the playoffs. Instead, yeah. the Eagles and freaking Peterson tanked on purpose just to break my heart. Mm-hmm. All right, so what are your thoughts here for Ryan Pitts, Fitzpatrick coming at the quarterback position? How is it going to impact this offense? Because there was a lot of room for improvement here heading into uh, this next season. I mean, obviously the backbone of Washington last year was their defense, um, and you can expect, you know, another elite performance out of them this year. They're probably going to be one of the league's best um, on the on the defensive side, but the offensive side is where the, the biggest room for improvement is. Are you expecting any sort of, um, you know, adjustments on that side of the football for them? I think we're going to see a lot more volume from this offense. I think we're going to see a lot more points, but I also think we're going to see a lot more turnovers. You know, that's kind of been Ryan Fitzpatrick's career, right? He's got those big explosion games where he plays very good, and then he has the four four turnover game. Um, so I think that from a fantasy perspective, this team is going to be a lot more fun offensively. I think, you know, a lot of their, they have a lot of talent on this team. Um, but at the same time, I think I like Ryan Fitzpatrick more as a fantasy player than an actual NFL quarterback at this really? point in his career. Uh, I mean, he's you know, 38. He's just, we saw what Tom Brady could do at 44. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a reason though that he just, he's been on so many different teams and that's because he's not reliable game to yeah. game. Last year you was never his know. career season. 
well, we, we never played know nine what, games, but right. You know, and the, and the team still was only, you know, four and three or five and three at the point where Tua took over at the same time too. So it's not like he's just been this incredible winning quarterback. I think he's a good quarterback and it's an upgrade over last year, but it's not too hard to upgrade over what they were, what they were bringing out last year with Dwayne Haskins and yeah. very old and injured <laughs> Alex Smith and oh Heineke God. and all of those guys. Oh my God. The 2020 was absolutely chaotic and a coach's worst nightmare at the quarterback position for Washington. I mean, despite like league average health at that position, the, the, the Washington football team started four different players at that, at that position, the quarterback position last year throughout the year. That's Dwayne Haskins, Kyle Allen, Alex Smith, Smith and Taylor uh, Taylor Heineke. I mean, not an elite, not an elite bunch of quarterbacks there. Um, and Haskins yeah. p- played a lot of a lot early on, and he actually started, a, I think, a game or two late in the season. He was just, uh, he was just, cor- cor- he was corrupting that locker room. I mean, he brought a conf- an absolutely confusing brand of just like horrendous play, locker room boastfulness. Like he, there was that game where he. He threw for 300 yards for the first time in his career, but most of his plays were like yards after the catch where it were like dump offs and screen passes, not very far. And then the team lost by like 14 points and he was like, like boasting himself up in the locker room saying that, oh, it's my first 300 yard game when they just lost like by two scores. And... The off-field antics were just terrible. He went to that. He uh he lost the game. I think it was week fifteen, and he started and he lost. And then he went to the strip club after the game, and then I think they I think they released him shortly after that. So yeah, because he well didn't he break COVID protocols by doing that? Yeah, as well? yeah, he wasn't wearing a mask. So just a really weird season out of him. Washington has to be grateful and relieved that he's no longer their concern. Um, and. Honestly, I just I think this team is well coached. That's my main takeaway from last year because despite all that drama, despite all those craziness at this uh, the most crucial position on your team, I mean, offensive coordinator Scott, Scott Turner showed some astute adjustments uh, for his player personnel last year, and, and with that, you'd think you know they'd be a more competent with with them being more competent at quarterback this year. Washington has to be hoping to improve on that side of the ball because I mean, last year Alex Smith was incredibly awful at long deep dropbacks he the 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 difference between any any dropback seven or more so those are deep dropbacks any dropback seven or more alex smith was terrible um you look at you look at his stats on that and and going from three step to seven step just that big of a gap and and, and you know five step was okay um, but it wasn't worth the pressure rate so you, he holds the ball longer not a very mobile mobile quarterback with those injuries he's had in his career with the obviously gruesome injuries but um, you want to get the ball out of his hands and that's what Scott Turner ended up doing um, and, and the uh, or Terry the, McLaurin yeah right I mean the uh, he Scott Turner increased the early down pass rates. Uh, also, dude, uh, it, for for Smith behind quarterback, like he was really increasing the early the early down pass rates from the first three quarters to seventy two percent, making the offense more efficient. So he was shorter dropbacks, more passing. It was just a very efficient offense, considering they had they lacked talent. Is the point? Like they just um, they didn't have a lot to work with, and, and Scott Turner did made the most of with what he had. And so with some adjustments at the quarterback position, bringing in someone who not necessarily an elite quarterback at this point in his career, Ryan Fitzpatrick, he just he loves to sling the football. His tendencies um, are he also he also loves uh, pre snap pre snap motion. He loves play action. Those are all things that I expect. Scott Turner to implement a lot of this year um, and I just 
for for how good Fitzpatrick did last year, Miami wasn't necessarily a scheme for him. So you could see that they were starting to try to scheme up plays for Tua because while I said Fitzpatrick does well in pre-snap motion and play action, Miami used below average rates on both motion and play action, 19th and 20th in the league respectively in those areas. Washington is definitely, last year they they used those rates in um, a top 10 on both. I expect that to continue. Fitzpatrick in his play action splits with play action, he was uh, 0.36 EPA, 8.8 yards per attempt, 70, uh, 70% success rate without play action, 0.23 EPA, uh, 9.1 YPA, 62% success. So a little bit of a difference there. Pre-snap motion, he has a 69% success rate and a pre, uh, without pre-snap motion is 61% success rate. So he definitely does better in those, in those types of schemes. I think we're going to see a lot of that in Washington. Um, and, and really, I just I think there's a, a lot of room for improvement. I want to see more out of Terry McLaurin, who I'm very optimistic about. I think uh, Antonio Gibson can be primed for a big year out of Washington as well. Um, I just think the offense is going to be a, a lot more efficient with the way they're going to be operating this this year because last year was just a plethora of just what could go wrong for them. Um, and, and you know, the defense held them held them afloat last year, and they did well. And I expect that to also continue a little bit this year. Yeah, I mean this this defensive line is fantastic, headed by you know the young talent Chase Young coming into his second year. He's just an absolute baller, and so uh, the, their defense is definitely still going to you know be steady um, for them. The question is, you know, how steady will this offense be? I think from game to game, the upside is is nearly as high as any in the league. When you talk about Terry McLaurin, Curtis Samuel, Antonio Gibson in his second year, they're talking he's like Christian McCaffrey light, you know, and we know that Fitzpatrick loves to sling the ball and Logan Thomas is no slouch at tight end. So they could put up a lot of points. I'm wary about the consistency from game to game for them though. So, you know, certainly they could beat a lot of good teams. I think they're also going to lose to some bad teams. I agree. There's going to be a little bit of consistency on there just because, I mean, Fitzpatrick, while I'm trying to boast him up a little bit, he's also not, like you said, he's not he's probably, uh, you know, within that 15 to 20 range at best, probably more likely to be in that 20 to 23 range in terms of quarterback rankings. Um, and what's going to be a big make or break unit for Washington is their defense um, because w- it was their strength last year, and they're going to have to lean on it again. In 2019, Washington's defense ranked 27th in total DVA, and in 2020, they ranked third. Major, major improvement. So are they somewhere in between, or, or are they more like 2020? I think that we're, that we're going to see a little bit of regression, but I don't expect too much. I mean, this defense, they did la- – they, last year, they, bo- they, um, they had they, – they were led by their two of the most elite talents in on the defensive side of the football and Mar- Montez Sweat and Chase Young. Um, Sweat with nine sacks, 20 QB hits. I think that led the NFL. Chase Young in his rookie year, seven and a half sacks, 12 QB hits. Incredible stuff. I mean, Washington also add, added William Jackson at the cornerback position who is going to be a key contributor to one of the most expensive secondaries in the NFL. They're paying these guys a lot of money in that unit. Um, but some reason to be a little bit pessimistic about um, their outlook on the season this year. They they they're going to have some regression inevitably because last year, I mean, they 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 ranked well in two metrics that are hard to maintain for multiple years: red zone defense and third down defense. Those are really tough to to uh, maintain year in and year out. Regression is a high possibility in each of those categories. Washington also last year played the NFL's fifth easiest schedule on pa- of passing offenses last year, um, the ninth easiest schedule of overall offenses. 
the, these are the quarterbacks in their wins last year. They had seven wins. These are the quarterbacks they beat. Carson Wentz, Andy Dalton, Joe Burrow, Andy Dalton, Ben Roethlisberger, Nick Mullins, and Jalen Hurts. Not exactly a, a Pro Bowl type. Of, Not a murderer's row by any yeah, means there. Yeah, exactly. So Warren Sharp projects uh, Washington to this year to face the 11th most difficult ranked schedule of passing offenses, jumping up from 28th last year. So there's going to be a more difficult a gauntlet of offenses that they're going to be facing some definitely you got to expect some regression but with you just the amount of elite young talent skill players they have on this side of the football they're definitely poised to have a very strong defensive unit again this year yeah i i think that makes a lot of sense i think that this i think that this division is going to be very interesting because i think we see the upside in the two projected worst teams with the eagles and the Giants, right? And then we also see that the Cowboys, we we said probably the under. Um, So these four teams are all in a very similar strata where any of them really, you could see winning the division once again, depending on how a lot of young players perform in their first, second, third years in health. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about the fantasy football outlook. Let's start with the quarterback. I mean, Brian Fitzpatrick, he, he, I think he's going to return to that usable, streamable quarterback every once in a while if you're in a pinch. Um, but the point with Fitzpatrick is the way, the reason why I bring him up is because Washington finally has a competent quarterback to throw the ball to some other excellent pass catching options. I mean, you look at just the volume in Washington's offense last year, they were the 32nd in yards per target to wide receivers, 27th in tight ends. 32nd when targeting running backs. These numbers are certainly going to be uh, getting better in this next year with Fitzpatrick under center. Um, I'm pretty optimistic about the improvement of some of these guys, like especially like Terry McLaurin, who is currently being drafted as the third, uh, at the 37th spot, wide receiver 11. I think a breakout campaign for a guy like this in his sophomore, sorry, not sophomore, his third, se- third year in the season. It's uh, in a competent offense. It's going to be scary to see what a, what a guy like this can do. Yeah, I think I think McLaurin's going to do a lot of scoring this year. Uh, I think that it's going to be much more of a higher volume team, and I, I would be I wouldn't be surprised if he pushed for a hundred receptions, maybe thirteen hundred yards or so. I think we see a nice third year step up now that he's going to have more consistency and a more aggressive quarterback throwing him the ball. Yeah, I feel like he's kind of appropriately ranked at that wide receiver eleven spot, but like the upside yeah. is there. Like he could he could be one of these guys we rank in the top five or six next year. Yeah, I mean, he he and C.D. Lamb are definitely two of those guys who are maybe less um, less sure things, I would say, than like an Allen Robinson. But I would say they also have much higher upside because, Agreed. you know, they're very young in their career and much more aggressive um, passing quarterbacks, passing Agreed. plays. Are you considering any other pass catching options here in Washington? You got Curtis Samuel. You got um, what's the rookie's name again? Uh, Deami Brown. Deami Brown. You know he looked great in that preseason game going on right now while we record this. Deami Brown. Yeah, third round he made a nice like Carolina. back shoulder catch on a, on a twenty yard pass. Yeah. So are you, are you considering any of these other options in Washington's passing attack or receiving core? We saw Curtis Samuel as the third wide receiver option um, last year with the Panthers produce a top 30 wide receiver season. He's kind of a nice gadget player who's, who's explosive. I could see him being a fringe wide receiver, 20 to 30. He's certainly not going, he doesn't have nearly the same upside, but he's, he's a good flex option still. Yeah. Um, Deami Brown is, is an interesting play. He was the 
second overall pick. Uh, he had back-to-back thousand-yard seasons in North Carolina. He's coming from a school of less pedigree, which might be uh, a knock against him in terms of why his draft value is lower. But he, it, a guy you could stash on the on your bench, or not even you know, he's probably going to be a free agent. You don't even need to stash him on your bench, but to keep on watch list sure. as you go through those three first three or four <laughs> weeks. Yeah, Fitz has. Uh, history of having multiple wide receivers be very effective in his offenses. You know, we saw that in Tampa Bay. We saw that in New York. We saw that in Buffalo. So there's certainly opportunity for at least two wide receivers to be impact fantasy players this year. Um, you know, and it could, it could be the, the, the rookie Deami Brown. Yeah. Curtis Samuel is someone that I'm, I'm considering, um, he rejoins Ron Rivera. You know, they were linked in Carolina. Uh, but honestly, Samuel had a – I was not – I would just, like, didn't put the dots together how good of a season Samuel had last year. Um, he was pretty good last year. Yeah. And you look at you, – did you know that he had the second most touches of, out of wide receivers last year? Because you, if you combine receptions and running the rushes, rushes yeah. he had 41 rushes last year. I mean, it would be interesting to see if Washington uses him in that, in that gadget role where he's getting some rushes as well because he had 77 catches, 40 one rushes second to only Stefan Diggs in terms of wideouts with total touches. He had 118 touches. He, he touched the ball 118 times. There's definitely room for fantasy value if he's going to get some any sort of similar usage in, in Washington. Yeah, I mean, combined yardage, he could push for a thousand. Um, my yeah. cat's freaking knocking everything over on my desk <laughs> right now. It's, I'm trying to like pull up his stats from last year. But yeah, 77 <laughs> receptions. So he definitely, it, he's going to be effective in like the screen game. I don't think he's going to be the, the deep threat on the team, you know, Terry McLaurin being but, um, the taller speedster. But well, you the know, point there's is definitely like, opportunity. I mean, Samuel in Carolina was getting terrible deep deep throws. Like I think they were one of the worst teams in the league, and and, and balls thrown fifteen yards or more downfield. Um, yeah. Fitzpatrick completes oh, 58.1 percent of his passes over fifteen yards. That's that's fourth in the league last year. So Samuel is going to have some opportunity for some big play potential. I mean, but that stat might bode well better for Terry McLaurin than Samuel. Yeah, I think that you know I. I think two of these three guys will end up being top 30 wide receivers, you know, and so I definitely curse Samuel, someone, someone to watch for. He's currently wide receiver 49. So if that's the case, I mean, that's great value. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Are you, are you looking at, where are you looking at drafting Antonio Gibson? Because, you know, the the upsides there, the optimism is there. The breakout season is definitely in the cards here for him. How high is too high for Antonio Gibson? I, I love Antonio Gibson. I have him as a top 10 uh, running back pick, currently my number nine running back. And just the amount of upside for a guy who had 11 touchdowns in his rookie season, 800 yards in 14 games where he wasn't even the feature running back for the first half of the season. They they used Peyton Barber a lot. They also relied heavily on J.D. McKissick. Um, and that makes sense when you're talking about a season where – you know, again, COVID, again, the, a lot of these running backs didn't really break out until the second half of the year. If you give this guy a full season with full starter reps, if he's getting enough touches, we're projecting this offense to be more effective, a lot more scores. I think Antonio Gibson could be outstanding, and I think he has top five offside. Agreed. Agreed. I, I look, the, the top 10 or 12 running backs are, are pretty elite for me. I have him currently at the RB11, but the upside's there. Um, and it's It's... You know, Jonathan Taylor, Austin Eckler, you know, my, my dog's barking in the background. <laughs> we, got, we got animals intruding at the end of the pod. <laughs> I, yeah, I think they're trying to tell us to wrap it up here. But, you know, um, 
you know, I, I really love it. Tino Gibson is the point here. I, I like that pick there. I think he he's you can't go wrong with him as a top 10 play. I currently have, have him as 11. But, you know, guys like Austin Eckler and Jonathan Taylor, I could definitely see Gibson finishing ahead of him. Um, those guys. Um, but, I, you know, that, that, that kind of ballpark is definitely a comfortable fit for him. Yeah, and the the passing work I think is where he could see the the largest improvement. Previously sure. in college, he was he's a converted wide receiver. Originally played in college as a wide receiver, so we know he has the chops there. And he only caught thirty six passes last year. They they weren't trying to use him in all downs. You know, they were trying to make sure they they kept him fresh. And you know, when you're talking about pass blocking, it's one of the most difficult things for a rookie player to learn. And so a lot of times that first season, they do use the veteran more often on third down. But if we see his usage increase on third downs, then in he actually does go for some some of what Christian McCaffrey is used as, he could be absolutely incredible. Um, you know, and the skill set's definitely there. I think the opportunity will be there as well. Definitely. All right, Logan Thomas at the tight end position. For me, he's I mean, he's getting drafted as the tight end seven. I think we've already talked about this, that this is kind of the dead zone for tight ends for me. Um, very little upside in that kind of value for me. He's entering his age 30 season. It's tough to definitively say that his performance last year is who he's going to be going forward. I mean, he spent four years before that kind of suggesting he wasn't really relevant in fantasy football. But he that was his first year as the lead tight end role. He, that was the first time he ever got the, he got handed the keys to, you know, beat the tight end, be the guy. Um, I just think last year was kind of an anomaly. Tight end three finish. It was excellent. Don't get me wrong. But, I mean, it was the lowest scoring tight end three since 2003 in fantasy. So, really, it was just kind of a reflection of the poor performance across the board for tight ends last year. Um there's just a lot of pass passing options, pass catching options for Washington as well. I mean, I like we said, we I like Samuel a little bit. I like Deami Brown's potential. Um, Antonio Gibson could get more involved. McLaurin's already a, tar- a target hog and is going to be the leading guy in this offense. I just I, Logan Thomas is definitely not someone I'm targeting. I just don't see the value here for him. Are, are you considering him at all? The value based on the ADP isn't there for me. I think he has a capped upside. Um, Again, we, we keep coming back to a guy like Evan Ingram, where I think there's just the, the amount of opportunity and upside we see from a player uh, certainly exists. But tight end is one of those positions where it does take a lot longer in career to be a legitimate producer. And also these guys typically do produce more later in their careers, right? Travis Kelsey's like in his low 30s, I think, or upper 20s. He's still having career years. So it, it's not out of the ballpark that we actually see progression from Logan Thomas. But I think the main issue is he. I, it's going to be the opportunities. Um, and if you're talking about like the deep passes, they already have elite talent on the outside. Ryan Fitzpatrick has a history of over-targeting wide receivers compared to tight ends. And so I, I don't think Logan Thomas is going to be on any of my teams next year. Yeah, me either. All right, the over-under pick here for the Washington football team, eight and a half is the line. I am going under on this Washington football team. Where are you at? Yeah, I think that with the improvements in the division of the Eagles and Giants, uh, I'm probably going to go under as well. I don't think they get as many of those easy wins that they were able to pick up last year. And, you know, like we mentioned, I think this team is going to be more relevant for fantasy purposes than it is going to be an actually um, consistent and strong football team. Um, So I'm going to take the under on eight and a half. Yeah. Um, Look, Washington's going to, they're expected to face the sixth toughest schedule and, and they're going to be facing the second worst net. They're going to have the second worst net rest differential, neg- minus 14 games. I mean, they're going to be, be short 
against their opponents on rest by in, in 14 of their 17 games. Um, for me, it's just it's uh it's a high win total eight and a half is pretty high i just don't think the offense is going to get them there um and the defense is going to regress some um they had they had a a, um the offensive sorry the the uh i think this team is just a high high floor low ceiling type of team and it it makes it difficult to predict but you know a 500 win percentage is kind of right in in the ballpark so that's kind of what makes sense here the eight and a half is, is exactly 500 um but the offensive line is just so shaky. Uh, they added Charles Lino and Eric Flowers at left guard, but those aren't necessarily big upgrades. Flowers a journeyman. Lino is a good pass blocker in his career, but it did come at the expense. They lost Morgan Moses, who ranked 15th overall among uh, among ta- amongst tackles last year by according to PD- PFF. So I just I I think that like you said, in terms of this division getting a little bit better. Washington getting a little bit of regression on the defensive side of the football. I think Fitzpatrick, while he could be a, a better quarterback for fantasy purposes, helping this offensive tick a little bit more. I just still don't think that. Um, I just, I just, I'm a little, I'm a little down on the this team being uh, above 500 team. I think eight eight wins is kind of where I'm picturing them. But this is probably the one I'm least confident about in this division. I, I like all my other picks. This one is I could see this one going either way because this team for me is exactly 500. That's exactly the win total projection. Um, I just lean under with the improvement of the, their opponents in the division. Yeah, I, I mirror that sentiment. I I feel the most confident about taking the over on the Giants and Eagles. I also generally like taking overs because it's more fun to root for a team to win than hoping a team loses in multiple games. But I just I don't feel confident about this team being able to manufacture the consistency that takes for an above five hundred team. And the same thing with the Cowboys. You know, I think there's a wide range of outcomes for them. Definitely. All right, Connor, we did it. That's the NFC. That's that's the 16 teams in the NFC conf- the National Football Conference. Woo. It's uh it's been a, it's been a, a blast, my guy. We're we're on a ride here. We're halfway through our, our divisional analysis for the football season. We're going to we're going to pick up the pace I think in the next week or two as the season gets closer. We're going to try to start steering more in towards uh the fantasy football ideas as well. We have a lot of stuff coming our listeners way. Any last words Connor for the podcast? Yeah, you know, Ben and I's rankings are up on the site right now. We have last year's stats filled in next to real players. So you can kind of see, okay, how did they do last year? Where do we have them ranked? And, you know, you can supplement that with the podcast for our reasoning uh, for our our takes on a lot of these players. Additionally, we have the uh, NFL power rankings up right now, at least mine, with last year's stats and our projections for this year. Ben and Garrett are going to be working on their own um, to get those out there. So, you know, last year we were very accurate in our NFL team predictions, and hopefully we're looking to mirror that as well this year. Yeah. I have a plethora of notes that I'm working on getting those up on the website this weekend. Hopefully, we'll have those for you guys to read. For every NFC team that we've talked about, I'll give you guys my podcast notes, essentially. And uh, it's definitely some great analysis. Even some stuff that, you know, we talked about a, a lot about these teams. There's even some stuff I didn't, wasn't able to get to. And I'll also include, I'm working on a little bit of a glossary of some of the stats that I've been working on. Uh, I have a little bit of a document that it's kind of a working doc where it shows you some of the advanced stats that I like to look up for my analysis here to uh, make make evaluations on these teams as well. So all this stuff is definitely going to be helping you and all your fantasy football endeavors and gambling endeavors on the upcoming NFL season. I think Connor and I are definitely doing a great job in terms of accuracy and, and, and being very um, 
thorough and analytical in our analysis. And I think it's going to pay off, pay huge dividends um, come fantasy football season, uh, from gambling season, you know, just general NFL. I like that. It's gambling season, baby. (laughs) Right? All right, my guy, Connor. It's been a blast, buddy. And uh, that's going to do here for episode 75. We made it to the three-quarter century mark here on Vicious Talk with Benny P. It was a blast having you on for this episode, Connor. Looking forward to doing more with you in the near in the uh, near future. Absolutely, brother. Thanks for having me on. All right, take care. Remember to ask yourself at the end of the day, are you vicious? 